All right, we are live, BNB fans. Business and Buckets episode eight coming at you. The Business and Buckets podcast is proudly sponsored by Fueled Supplements. If you're an elite athlete, busy mom on the go, or looking for the perfect product to suit your daily wellness needs, Fueled Supplements has you covered. Choose from their selection of premium sports and wellness formulas backed by over 30 years of market experience. Go on and check their website out. I have it tagged on all my social medias and uh, my YouTube and use business code buckets for 20% off. That's not 5% off, not 10% off, but 20% off for any kind of supplements, whether you're looking for proteins, pre-workouts, fueled greens, multivitamins, you name it. They have a bunch of supplement lines for his and her as well. And it's definitely a supplement package that I'm using. Uh, So thanks again for fueled supplements for keeping the lights on here at Business and Buckets. Now, stack show, a little bit of a different uh, outline and show coming for you guys. Um, Next week, we will have episode nine of Business and Buckets, the sports show. And we'll also have episode 10, business episode two with Brad Federson. Uh, He's an entrepreneur here in the Seattle area. Talks a little bit about his story, his upbringing, our experiences and how we met back in Montana when I was in college. So definitely check in um, and hear his story and what has what has led him to entrepreneurship here in the Seattle area. Now, NFL still the headline, even though the Super Bowl is over. Um, a few different things I wanted to dive through today in the offseason. First Sunday without football. You know, I was up at the slopes, had one of my best friends, uh, Dakota. Hammer Strength Construction, who built this awesome table that you see here in front of me. So again, shout out Hammer Strength in Dakota uh, for building this out. He got to see the studio for the first time. That was really cool. Uh, You know, it was kind of a last minute trip, didn't have a ton of time, but we'll definitely do a podcast with Dakota uh, talking about his entrepreneurship experience out in Montana. Um, But I wanted to talk a little bit of mock drafts. You know, I've been looking at all these mock drafts, been thinking about my team's needs and other teams and just how wild of an offseason this is going to be. I think I brought this up numerous times already, but with the QB carousels, the free agency, and the uncertainty of salary caps, lots of moves are being made, and I think mock drafts is a fun one to always digest. I'm not Mel Kuyper and these guys that spend my time really investing in all rounds of the draft, creating my own mock draft. But what I'll do is go some of the t- go over some of the top mock drafts with you guys, uh, provide my feedback, just talk a little bit about the team situations and best available. Um, because even if you look at the mock drafts the past few years, some of them have had some probably like 40 to 50% accuracy, but a lot of the things that happen are totally off the charts. And this year's mock drafts are a little wild in my opinion, so we'll digest those. Uh, we're actually going to do a little bit of NBA mock draft as well. Um, you know, won't be as high level and as a a deep dive, just be more glancing over, um, players for us to watch as March Madness comes up, um, and potential fits in the NBA as I know March Madness is besides the Super Bowl, probably my favorite time of the year. This, uh, some uncertainty with the tournament this year and COVID, uh, supposedly going to be played in a bubble, but lots of exciting things to talk about there. And I wanted to lead it off with a couple fun things related to the NFL. (laughs) I've been seeing this thing on social media. I'm sure everyone has seen it and have had had put their opinions out there of the goat of all goats. We have goats like Michael Jordan. You know, now there's a comparison between uh, Jordan and LeBron, which 
I'm going to be doing a segment called For the Haters uh, once a month. And For the Haters, definitely the first one we'll dive into is, is it MJ or is it LeBron as the GOAT of all time in basketball? Um, but for this segment, more so GOATs of all GOATs, the Floyd Mayweathers, the you know Tiger Woods are best of golf, all sports, how do you combine them, and who's your GOAT of all GOATs? Um, I was watching uh, the TNT crew with Shaq talking a bit about his GOAT of all GOATs being um, Floyd Mayweather uh, because he's undefeated. Uh, to me, that's kind of a crazy concept, uh, but you know, I'll shout out to him. And then Dwayne Wade's and um, Candace Parker's GOAT of all GOATs was Serena Williams, who's definitely got to be in the picture. Um, obviously, my favorite sport is the NFL, so I'm a little bit biased here. Uh, but I think when you look at the greatest of all time when it comes across all sports, you have to put in fact three different variables. The first one has to be how hard is it to win in that sport? compared to all sports? Is it a team sport? Is it an individual sport? So when we talk about team versus individual, I'm always going to shoot with the team sport being harder because you can't control everything, right? If I'm a, a DN or a receiver or running back, a quarterback, I can't control what happens on the other side of the football. And I really can't control on the decision-making of the front office and the coaching staff. So there's just a lot of variables there. Um, what can bring to the GOAT on football when it's a team sport, which I think we all can agree at this point, Tom Brady's the GOAT, is leadership and different perspectives that can bring a locker room together where somebody like Floyd Mayweather, you know, Serena Williams, sure, there's a team around them, but they could control most of of their performances and how things are done. And um, they don't have to worry about a lot of those other things in team sports. So already the first variable that kills off thing, individuals like Floyd Mayweather, Serena Williams, whoever your golfing goat is, and those individual sports. I think another um, variable and another key aspect here that we have to digest when we're talking goat of all goats has to be championships, right? Um, you know, I've heard in goat debates like, okay, well, then Bill Russell has to be there because he has all these championships. Sure, but was he a byproduct of a great team? Or was, or was that mostly done because of him and his accolades? So championships definitely have to be up there. And I think when we're talking GOATs, if you're the greatest all time, you're going to be leading statistical categories. So I want to have somebody that's consistently leading in that category, which in some sports like basketball, a lot of the people that we consider GOATs, um, besides, you know, we don't know when LBJ is going to retire, besides LBJ, not a lot of these team sports, people are leading a ton of statistical categories when we're thinking baseball, when you're talking hockey. So I have a lot of those, you know, sports and their goats eliminated, uh, like Gretzky, uh, like Bill Russell, because they're not leading those statistical, uh, as many statistical categories. Now, when it comes to the people that, you know, maybe played those sports in the forties, fifties, sixties, and so on and so forth, you know, performance has definitely gotten better over time right? There's better supplements, there's better training staffs, there's better ways to recover. So when we're talking goats, it's hard to bring up eras, right? I think Michael Jordan and LeBron's more of a fun debate because they weren't that far off. But when we're talking about players like in the NFL or Bill Russell versus the players today, the games are completely different. So Bill Russell doesn't lead all these statistical categories, but the games evolved where the offense is faster, they're shooting more threes, so their stats go up. Um, 
you know, back in the day with Wilt Chamberlain, he should have like damn near all the records. There wasn't even a three point line, right? So the games have evolved, but I am going to then favor the newer athletes in the newer eras due to the fact that bigger, faster, stronger, right? Their training's better, their arm strength's better. Shoot, kids are now able to learn from training facilities, video, watching film, and those things at such a younger age that their performance is better. So, you know, as I grow older, as we talk to, you know, people in their 40s and 50s, they tend to favor the people from their decade because that's who they can relate to. They got to watch those games. It was like me as a kid watching Peyton Manning, and I, I don't disagree with them. But at the end of the day, if we're strictly talking, in an example, Bill Russell versus LBJ one-on-one, who are we taking? We're taking LeBron, right? Look at the guy's brick shit house, right? He's still playing this late in his career because of those bigger, faster, stronger methodologies. So when it comes to the goat of all goats, I think it's a pretty simple answer. And everyone has their sports bias and all those things, but we got to put those three variables in. Championships, leader in statistical categories, and individual versus team sport. Well, the toughest sport to win at all, in my opinion, because of the lack of consistency and the way teams are made and salary caps and everything else, is definitely football, right? I would say baseball would be if there was a salary cap, but because the Dodgers and the Yankees and the teams that are having the bigger payroll can consistently go and buy the best players, I think that doesn't help with the goat-of-all-goat debate. So when we talk in football, the goat is definitely Tom Brady, and we'll go through some of the categories that he's leading But to not only win in New England, but go to a team and in his first year win, sure, the Bucs, I mean, he went to the Bucs for a reason. There's a shit ton of talent there, right? Um, But the the things that he has done and been a part of, I don't think you can compare to any sport. I mean, if we look at back-to-back Super Bowls, we had talked about this two weeks ago, there's only been a few teams that have been able to repeat in NFL history. And when we look at the statistical categories, I don't think these are going to be beat for a long time. We're in kind of a new era of football. And a lot of people are bringing up Mahomes as like the next guy. And the the stats that he's putting up are pretty amazing. But can he have the longevity of TB12? I mean, TB12 doesn't even have, you know, he's like for sure playing this year. He's talking about potential multiple years. And he could still add to his legacy. But this is where we stand today. The first thing that sticks out is his regular season wins by a starting quarterback, 219. Put that into perspective. If we're talking about how many uh, games are in a season, how many seasons that is, I mean, sure, he had the Dolphins, Jets, and Bills in his division for years, but that amount of wins by far is just an amazing number. And that's just regular season. Divisional titles, 17. 17 divisional titles. That is insane. So almost every single year that Tom Brady's been a starting quarterback, he's won the divisional title. 30 playoff wins. I mean, we talk about all the Super Bowl runs and those wins alone and just those Super Bowl runs, uh, but holy shit, that's that's a high number to be able to lead that. He started in 41 playoff games. He's won 30 of his 41 playoff games. He's leading both of those statistical categories. Playoff touchdown passes, 73. I believe he, he beat Drew Brees th- this past year um, and uh, because Drew Brees played one game less than him. And then, obviously, it's not 100%, but 98% that Drew Brees will be retired. So I'm sure he'll, he'll keep adding to that. Playoff passing yards, over 11,000. 
nine Super well, ten Super Bowl appearances, seven Super Bowl wins, five Super Bowl MVPs, twenty-one Super Bowl touchdown passes. Right at 3,000 passing yards in the Super Bowl. I mean, think of that. 3,000 Super Bowl passing yards. That's insane. Some quarterbacks, you know, depending on injuries and things, throw, you know, high threes in a season, let alone he's had that in, his, in just Super Bowls. Most passing yards in post, included with postseason, over, over 86,000. Over 615 touchdowns, including the postseason. 58 game-winning drives. And he's leading every single one of these categories. Most different pass catchers uh, to catch a touchdown. 77. Most passing yards in a single Super Bowl, 505. Which was Super Bowl 52 against the Eagles. Most postseason fourth quarter comebacks with nine. Most completions and attempts in a single Super Bowl. And when we're talking about all-time categories, passing yards, passing touchdowns, like any kind of category that you can give this individual besides passer rating because Mahomes has started so crazy in his career, this guy is on top of the charts. So if you want to look at your go and compare – Maybe LeBron James. He's probably going to be the closest by the end of it because I, I foresee him playing for a while. Um, but you look at Michael Jordan. You look at Serena Williams. You look at all these people in the statistical categories. They're not number one in almost damn near every single thing. And this guy is still going. So when we look at those three variables, that's my goat of all goats. I do like the idea of Shaq saying that Mayweather's never been beaten. So how can he not be the goat? Uh, but the way boxing set up and the politics there, I just, I don't, I don't think he's the goat of all goats because I don't even think he's the goat of boxing. Right. Um, so with that being said, my goat of all goats, Mr. TB 12, I hate saying that I don't hate saying that. I mean, the guy's an underdog. He's done amazing things. I'm just ready for this era to be over and some new blood being involved. And it's, it's hard when he beats the Steelers. He was beating the Steelers damn near every year. I'm happy he's in the NFC at least now. Another fun comparison I saw online that got my wheels spinning a little bit was the comparison of Russell Wilson and Pat Mahomes through their first three years in the NFL. So year number one, they both made the playoffs and lost. Um, Mahomes had actually made it to the AFC Championship and lost to Tom Brady. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Year number two, they both won the Super Bowl. Russell Wilson winning his first Super Bowl um, in his second year and Pat Mahomes winning it last year against the 49ers. And then year three, they had both lost to TB12 in the Super Bowl. Russell Wilson in that Seahawks game was the big interception at the one-yard line. They didn't give it to Marshawn, and we saw how this year's Super Bowl went. So that brings up the concept to me, well, is Mahomes really as great as we say he is? Because if you remember Russell and that Seahawks team, how much hype they had, or is this just a byproduct of right place, right time with the right team involved that maybe our comparisons to Tom Brady are a little premature? Well, just from what I've seen and why I think a lot of analysts are saying that he has that potential, 
is because the skill level and the things that he's doing, like during the Super Bowl, that that pass that he threw while diving down and it was a dime to his player and hit him in the damn helmet and he dropped it. I think that is sustainable over a long period of time. He's obviously in great shape. He's he's starting a little bit younger than Tom Brady was able to because obviously Tom Brady was backing up and wasn't expected to even be a part of the team for a while. So I think that it's not premature, but it's interesting to think about because with the inconsistency of the NFL, that's again why we're on putting Tom Brady as the goat of all goats. I, I mean, there's a lot to be said. So the next few years will be interesting. I've seen premature Super Bowl picks, and I'll, I'll, I'll be able to do my season predictions for you guys this next year in the NFL and NBA and coming soon in MLB, which I'm excited about because we started uh, business at Buckets during this year's playoffs, and I wasn't able to do so. But I do think these next couple of years will be critical for Pat Mahomes to see if he is just another QB, you know, superstar QB, or if he is the guy that we see potential in being one of, you know, the goat of this generation or the TB12. You know, it's hard to compare TB12 because that's why I call him the goat of all goats. He's doing things that are just unbelievable. But that upper level, you know, first bout Hall of Famer type player. Now let's talk NFL mock drafts. So I pulled up three separate mock drafts, one by CBS Sports. Uh, excuse me, that's not correct. One by Daniel Jeremiah, it's 2.0 mock draft. I have the mock draft by Mel Kuyper Jr. And the mock draft by The Athletic and Dan Brugler. Uh, Brugler. I love The Athletic. If I'm going to look up a source that's giving me insight that I can use to either make betting decisions on or fantasy decisions, because I play fantasy football, basketball, and baseball, that's where I'm going. Anymore, I'm enough of a guy that's watching enough games and checking out statistics that I really don't have to, but it's always nice seeing the articles, what other people's opinions are, and these are the type of people that I'm going to. Um, Obviously, Mel Kuyper is probably the most popular, but... I have pulled up three different ones to bounce off so we have different ideas. The first thing I'll say is quarterbacks. There's five projected quarterbacks in almost every mock draft this year, and we'll talk a little bit about the history of how that's worked out, but that's why I feel like these year's mock drafts are going to be a little crazy. And is it worth the teams that are projected to draft a quarterback to draft the quarterback at that position? Or is that just a waste of a pick? So we'll dive in and talk a little bit about that. And another position I'm going to focus on is running back because, you know, it's trending that running backs aren't taken quite as early as they used to be because of, you know, more of a uh, committee thing and you can get value in the later rounds. But there's two potential running backs this year that make things a little bit interesting. As we have Travis Etienne, Clemson superstar. I think he's pretty much broken most of Clemson's records at that position. And we also have Mr. Najee Harris, who had a pretty awesome stock heading into the season. And then he did what he did in the championship game, leaping five feet over people and making it look effortless. And I think that boosted his stock even more. So... I think we all know who everyone is mocking as the number one pick. Mr. Trevor Lawrence, Sunshine himself. Looks like he just came out of the movie. But I think this is going to be notorious. If you don't think this is going to happen, you're crazy. 
I don't even care if his shoulder doesn't look great after these workouts and his shoulder surgery. I would still assume that he goes number one. So I don't think there's a lot for us to talk about there. Now, this is where things get interesting. Why? Well, because the number two pick outside of him, there's still a lot of good quarterbacks available. But it's the Jets, and no one knows what the hell the Jets are going to do. I think Salah coming in is definitely going to you know, make them a little bit more abiding by what we expect. But who knows? The Jets do Jets things. So we have Jeremiah taking the Jets or having the Jets taking Zach Wilson as the number two QB off the board. BYU quarterback looking pretty good. He doesn't play a lot of tough competition, but neither did Josh Allen. And he supposedly has the arm strength and the intangibles that everyone's looking for. Next up, we have Mel Kuyper taking Devonta Smith for the Jets, which we all know wide receiver is a huge need of the team. I don't think most of us could even name the whole receiving core of three or four receivers on the Jets today. If you can, comment on my video. Uh, uh, tweet me. Obviously, you can't cheat. But, I mean, that's just how bad that receiving core is. And then we have the athletic picking, having the Jets take Zach Wilson. I've heard that a lot of this is coming from um, insider and source information that Zach Wilson is the favorite number two quarterback on the board, but we will see what happens there. So we already got two QBs, first two picks in most of the mock drafts. If on the Jets, you have Sam Darnold, who is a top level quarterback, the front, off, the front office, the coaching staff, and the team – just terrible decisions all around. Um, I don't know how Gase still had his job as late in the season as he did last year. But you have so many needs, and you don't really have a proven quarter or given the quarterback an opportunity to prove himself. Why the hell are we taking a high-risk, high-reward quarterback here? Is Zach Wilson going to be so good that it just leapfrogs our team from a however many wins they had this year to an eight-win team or, a, or better? I absolutely don't think so, especially Zach Wilson, of all people. So this is the first thing that I'm just like, there's no way the Jets are taking Zach Wilson. If they do, that's the most Jet thing to do, and good luck. So Jets fans, I, I would say, fingers crossed, you guys don't take Zach Wilson. I don't think he's the second-best quarterback, and I sure in the hell don't think that with the number two overall pick that you need to be taking a quarterback with all the team needs that you have. I mean, I think we can make a full you know, story of all the needs that the Jets have. But I mean, we're talking quarterback, we're talking receiver, we're talking tight end. I mean, defense, running back, because Bell's gone now. They they've have uh, P. Ryan, but is he really a legit running back? I mean, there's so many damn needs on this team that there's just no way that you can really value the quarterback here, in my opinion. Let's move on to number three. So we have the Dolphins. having Jamar Chase in one of the mock drafts, two of the mock drafts, and then in the athletic having the Panthers trading up for Justin Fields, number three. They're impatient. That's their guy. They're making a move, even though to me, he's very similar to Teddy Bridgewater. So Jamar Chase, can you go wrong with that pick? This is another tough one for me. There's so much receiving talent in the NFL. We look at the free agents of this year's class is unbelievable. We look at the ability and the needs of the Dolphins. It's kind of like the Jets. There's quite a bit of needs, except their defense is a lot more su suitable. 
can we wait and take a, a receiver later or even draft down and take one of the top receivers in this year's draft class, which there are quite a few? Or do we really want to take a receiver number three overall when we have so much to improve on? I don't like the pick here. Is Jamar Chase the best in the class? I mean, I think all top, probably the four top receivers in this class are all going to be awesome players. Um, let's look at the top receivers. We got Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, who is supposed to be the best wide receiver at Alabama. Had some injuries. We're unsure. And then you have Devontae Smith, uh, Ronaldo Moore, Rondal Moore, excuse me, and Rashard Bateman out of Minnesota, who's a huge body. So, you know, I'm unsure of who's going to be the best one, but I'm pretty sure those five are going to be legit quarter uh, receivers in the league unless they're in a bad franchise with no quarterback play. I mean, we look at some of the top receivers from this past year. They all are performing amazingly. Um, I just, it doesn't make sense for number three overall to me. I like the idea of the athletic having the Dolphins trade down. In this perspective, they have the Dolphins receiving a 2021 first round pick, the eighth overall that the Panthers had. A 2021 third round, fifth round, and 2022 first round pick. That's a lot of return. I think that's a great move. If I were a mock draft, draft expert, you have needs, but to have a pick that high, you could trade down, especially with someone like the Panthers, a few spots down and still get your guy or a guy very comparable. So I feel like they should do that. So if you're a Dolphins fan, let's trade down. Let's get another receiver, but we don't need to have that. And you know how cool it would be to have Tua with his boy Devonta Smith again in Miami. That could happen at pick eight. So I like the idea. Quickly, let's discuss, is the Panthers trading up for Justin Fields the move? So clearly in this concept, they would feel that Justin Fields wouldn't be available at eight. That's why they're making the move. They want their guy. Is Justin Fields that high-level quarterback that everyone's thinking and expecting based off this past season and their earlier results. So I'm going to say yes, that he's going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL because the game is evolving to running quarterbacks. He's physical. He has the arm strength. He needs a good system that fits his mold, that he doesn't have to uh, force the issue. He needs to have a running game that could back him. But don't forget, when we're talking about the number one quarterbacks coming out of high school into college, Justin Fields, for the most part, had outperformed um, Lawrence in a lot of these quarterback, like Elite 11 competitions. You know, Lawrence had the size and arm strength of your prototype, you know, the quarterback that we're used to. And I think that's giving him a lot of leverage. It's hard for me to even say that Fields is on the same level as, as Trevor, but I'm putting that into consideration. So I think he'll be a sustainable quarterback. The funny thing here for the Panthers is he is pretty similar to Teddy but I think he's got a little bit more of the it factor than Teddy does. And Teddy was just, you know, changing different teams, having the injury. I just don't think he was the same player that everyone expected him out of college. So I don't think it's a terrible move. You're giving up a lot for him, but the, the Panthers need a quarterback. So they're saying, Hey, this is our guy. We don't have an opportunity to sign some of these big name guys in, in the trade, like Deshaun Watson, Derek Carr, you name it. And the free agents aren't as good as what Justin Fields is going to be. We would rather have the youth there. There's also rumors that uh, the Panthers might trade McCaffrey. I think if this is a move, that's absolutely un impossible. You got to have McCaffrey to back up Fields and take some of the pressure off. Let's move to number four, the Atlanta Falcons. What an interesting team this is going to be. We have Daniel Jeremiah having the Falcons take 
Justin Fields. We have Mel Kuyper having the Falcons take Zach Wilson. And then in this position, we have the Athletic taking the Falcons. Uh, Sowell, the offensive tackle, one of the best offensive tackles available from Oregon. A little bit of a, a speedy offensive guy with big size. So I like the idea of the Falcons taking a quarterback here. Out of these three, what what do I enjoy the most? Matt Ryan's in kind of a situation that the Steelers are with Big Ben, where he's owed so much money. I think that if the new Q, or if the new coach comes in and tries to bring some of this innovation that he had with Tennessee, I think you do stick with Ryan for this year and you build around him to prep for the potential move. If they do get a quarterback like this, does he start first year regardless? No. But do I think that the Falcons want to invest into a quarterback that can uh, prepare for Mac, Matt Ryan after this? Absolutely. So I don't think any of these are a bad pick here. Um, I just don't know if I think that highly of Zach Wilson. If they can get Justin Fields, that's not a bad pick either. So as long as it's not Zach Wilson, I like this pick. I'm not too surprised about the mock drafts here. Number five, we go to the AFC North. We got the Cincinnati Bengals who have their man Joe Burrow coming off ACL injury. Pretty scrappy team. You know, T. Higgins and some of those offensive players looking pretty good. This will be an interesting to t team to see where they go. We have Mel Kuyper taking uh, the offensive tackle from Oregon as he's still available. We have Daniel Jeremiah taking the same tackle. And because he was taking number four in the athletics mock draft, they have them taking Kyle Pitts, the top tight end from Florida. So I love this idea. You have Burrow. You got to protect him. I think they have to go offensive line here. If that lineman's taken, maybe there's just not a good enough lineman for number fifth overall that they take Kyle Pitts. Either way, you got to give weapons for Joe Burrow to help improve that offense, especially with the defensive teams such as the Ravens and Steelers in that division. So I do like that move. Let's move down to the Eagles and the dumpster fire that they have going on. I think all of us can assume that um, this is expecting that most likely Ertz and Wentz are gone. So just keep that in mind because I'm pretty sure before the draft that'll happen or, or maybe on draft day. Uh, but they have, Jeremiah has the Eagles taking Kyle Pitts. Mel Kuyper has them taking Jalen Waddell. And the Athletic has them taking Jamar Chase. Offensive firepower is the story of this mock draft, and I think that's definitely the story of the Eagles. Take the best the player that you think is the best available, uh, especially if Wentz is gone. They probably have the worst receiving core in the league, and that's why I think and potentially we'll discuss why Wentz doesn't get enough credit and everyone thinks he's washed and done, but I disagree. Going to number seven, we have the Lions, uh, according to Kuyper, taking Justin Fields. We have the Lions taking Mika Parsons, the great edge rusher from Penn State. And then we have, on the athletic, the Washington football team trading up to take Trey Lance, quarterback, North Dakota. So let's stick with the idea of Mika Parsons. I think that's a great idea. I think the new coach was talking of pretty crazy in his press conference introduction introduction press conference and i think that defense will definitely be a big move for this team so i would not be surprised and i like the idea of mika parsons at seven but let's talk quarterback stafford being gone you have jared goff 
They talked about Jared Goff being a rental until they can mold the quarterback or find their quarterback. The Lions aren't a team and a franchise that some of these big-name free agents are going to want to go to. Why? Because it's a dysfunctional front office, somewhat similar to what the Texans are dealing with. So I wouldn't be surprised if they took quarterback. And I wouldn't be surprised if they traded up for Trey Lance because that's a, a total Lions thing to do. Let's take the guy that's probably the riskiest quarterback in the top upper echelon quarterbacks. Let's make that move and see what happens. Um, obviously, if Justin Fields is there, I talked to you guys how I would not be surprised if he's a, a legitimate NFL quarterback. So I don't think you could go wrong there. But if they did do Trey Lance, I mean, I, I feel like that's a terrible decision that should not happen. But hey, who knows? Let's move on to number eight. We got the Panthers, except in the Athletic, the Panthers are traded up for Justin Fields. So we have the Panthers by Daniel Jeremiah taking Mr. Trey Lance himself. Then Mel Kuyper has him taking Meek, or excuse me, taking Trey Lance as well. But the Athletic already had him trading up for Fields, so they have the Panthers trading that pick to the Dolphins, and the Dolphins taking Devonta Smith. So, I actually had not realized that they had the pan the Dolphins moving down for Devontae Smith. I think that's a genius idea. The Dolphins front office hopefully gets to see that mock draft by the Athletic. That's perfect case scenario. I think the Athletic has nailed that. When it comes to the idea of Trey Lance at 8, hopefully they go up and get their guy, or they draft outside of the quarterback room. But I don't think Trey Lance is the guy. I Supposedly, the head coach, Matt Rule, is in love with that guy. But, I mean, I, I haven't watched a lot of film, to be honest. I, I haven't been a big uh, North Dakota State football watcher. They're not on TV. I was more close with them when Wentz was there because I was a college kid at University of Montana. But there's just a lot of risk there. Do the... <laughs> The Patriots traded and paid for Teddy Bridgewater. They've taken a lot of high-risk moves of, of late. I think you got to make a, a more of a for sure, based on your team's opinion, quarterback move. So hopefully they move up for Justin Fields, if you're a Panthers fan. Let's go to number nine, the Broncos. Mile high. We got... Um, the GM taking a step back. Uh, the old quarterback... The front office is just changing things up because they want to build a winner. We got Daniel Jeremiah taking Caleb Farley for the uh, Farley for the Broncos cornerback out of Virginia Tech, saying he's the best corner on the board. Because of the difference in drafts, Kuiper has him taking Mika Parsons, and they have on the Athletic him taking Farley as well. I would say yes, because I think they aren't going to give up on Drew Locke and want to make a move at some of these quarterbacks. Plus, in these mock drafts, three of them are already taken. And Von Miller is aging. There's rumors that they might cut him for salary issues and salary cap issues. So I would not be surprised with either of these, and I think that's a great move for the Broncos. Let's just look at the top cornerbacks real quick and see if we think he is the best corner off the board. Because I do think Mika Parsons is the best best pass rusher. So you're telling me the junior out of Virginia Tech is the best corner at 6'2", We have Patrick Sertain from Alabama. I think we're all aware of him um, at 6'2", So almost the, you know, dead on same size. And then the number third ranked cornerback is Asante Samuel Jr. out of Florida State 
at 510184. Um yeah, I mean, not a bad pick. I don't. I mean, with those size and standards, and from what I know, not being a, a a draft expert, I don't think that's a bad move. It's probably a coin flip between Farley or Certain at this point. Let's go down to the Cowboys, taking the next best corner available, Certain from Alabama. I'm sure Cowboys fans will be stoked about that. And this other mock draft from Mel Kiper. We have, oh, give me one second here. Technical issues. We have, I mean, certain you got to go certain They've been drafting offensive firepower. I think the CD Lamb move was a little interesting last year with the receiving core that they already had. But hey, who knows what's going to happen here. From there, we have Mel Kuyper taking Rashawn Slater, lineman from Northwestern. I really like this guy. I think with the aging line the Cowboys have, that's not a bad move whatsoever. And then we have the Athletic having the Cowboys take Patrick Sertain as well. I think you look at the Cowboys, this is going to be very similar how the Steelers rebounded with Big, Big Ben coming back 11-0. I wouldn't be surprised if the Cowboys just set the league on fire if they get... A couple things in the front office figured out with Dak and his contract and some of the drama there, but you got to improve that defense. That secondary was just giving up way too many, too, too many numbers. Depending on the salary cap, they might lose some names back there and their lines aging. You got to improve that and keep Dak healthy. Don't want to go through that again, especially after you give them a fat new contract. So I like those, those picks and I would not be surprised. And if you're a Cowboys fan, hopefully they follow that because those are those are uh, for sure moves that make you a better team going into next season. Next, we got the New York football giants taking Gregory Rousseau, edge rusher, Miami, red sh red-shirted sophomore. Based off Daniel Jeremiah's prediction, Kuiper is having him take Kyle Pitts, best tight end available. And then the athletic has them taking Jalen Waddle, wide receiver, Alabama. The Giants have quite a few needs. You got Danny Dimes. If he's your quarterback, you got to build around him. I like the idea of adding a young edge rusher. I will have to look at the positional rankings on that for a second. But Kyle Pitts, Jalen Waddle, I don't think you could go wrong with either of those moves. I think those guys are, if you're going to be for sure, almost as for sure as you can get. So quickly, let's look up Mr. 
Rousseau from the Giants. He's the number one rated edge rusher. 6'7", 265. That's a big boy. I've seen some games from him. He was definitely the powerhouse on that team. The next edge rusher ranked is Patrick Jones II from Pittsburgh. So where do you want to focus? Do you want to give your offense more weapons? Or is the edge rusher the move? Is he the better player? I don't think you could be mad at either of these if you're Giants fans. Let's go to the Niners. We got Rashawn Slater, offensive tackle Northwestern, if he's still available based off those other mock drafts. Kuiper has him taking Patrick Sertain. And the Athletic has the Jets trading up, giving them their 23rd overall pick and Sam Darnold. And then the Jets taking Rashawn Slater. If the Jets traded Darnold, I, I don't see that happening. I think the Niners, if they're going to stay with, if they're going to make a quarterback move, it's only going to be for the big names. Uh, Deshaun Watson, like an Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, if that somehow happens, which I don't think it will, I don't think they're going to trade for Sam Darnold. So I do not like the idea there of the athletic, and I'm not going to agree with it. Patrick Sertain and Rashawn Slater, you got to keep Jimmy up, their offensive line aging getting beat up i like that move and if we're going with patrick certain you can't go wrong there either so when it comes to the athletics decision i mean sure that's creative but there's no way that they're going to sub in jimmy g for sam darnold um i don't think that makes any 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 sense to me let's go to la i always want to say san diego for the charges we have jeremiah having them taking jalen waddle we have uh, Mel Kuyper giving them Derisaw, the awesome tackle out of Virginia Tech. And we have the Athletic having them take the guard out of USC. So offensive line, offensive line, receiver. If Jalen Waddle is still available, I think 100% go for that move. But yeah, you got to give your boy Herbert some more time. You got to protect him. Similar to the Joe Burrow story in uh, Cincinnati. I think these are no-brainers. Number 14, we got the Vikings taking Devontae Smith. They would love that if he's still available. Holy cow. Thielen, Devontae Smith, and Justin Jefferson. We have Kuiper taking the guard, Elijah Vera Tucker, out of USC. And the Athletic has them taking Gregory Rousseau, the edge rusher. There's definitely an edge rushing need as they traded away their chips last year. I think that would be a great move if he's still available. When it comes to the guard out of USC, I think they could absolutely upgrade their line. You can't go wrong there. People forget how crucial it is. When there's these top linemen available that are for sure NFL translatable and ready, like these guys are that are in the mock drafts, you got to make those moves, especially when uh, your offense is, is focused on run game and we got to keep the quarterback up. Devontae Smith for the Vikings. If that happened, I think that would be, holy shit, this guy's still available. He's such a good player. we got to make a move on it. But I don't think that you really want to add to the receiving core at this point over the other needs of the team. When we look at the team needs, there's a, obviously edge rusher, lineman, and interior offensive lineman, maybe safety now or, or that secondary. Do you want to go for a top-tier receiver over that if available? That's the question. If I'm a Vikings fan, I'm hoping I'm hoping not, and I'm hoping that we have the other options. You do think of the Vikings receiving core. 
outside of Thielen and outside of Jefferson, there is definitely need there. It's not a very impressive group, but you can get better positional or better uh, opportunities at that position. Second and third round, we talk about how deep the receiving core is, the free agents available. So I don't like the idea that, I mean, if he falls to that point, though, that's that's a tough one to say no to because of the talent. Let's move to 15. We have the Patriots. Going to be an interesting offseason for the Patriots. I predicted that I think they get Deshaun Watson or one of the big free agents off the market, uh, whether they trade, make moves during the draft. Um, but they have uh, Jeremiah has the Patriots taking J.C. Horn. Uh, the Patriots, in Kuyper's prediction, are taking Mr. Mac Jones. If I were to compare someone to Tom Brady that looks out of college, Mac Jones definitely fits the mold. And then we have the Athletic getting Mika Parsons out of Penn State. I think that would be an amazing move if Mika Parsons is still available. According to Mel Kuyper, though, Mac Jones. Is Mac Jones a quarterback? I mean, the Patriots, if, if they think that's their guy, they're going to make the move. But I think they get someone who's more proven. I don't think Belichick wants to start over with a rookie. If that's the case, why not give um, their quarterback a chance now out of Auburn? I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, but the, I don't I don't see them going for Mac Jones. I know that's been a, some that I've seen pretty familiar. And then J.C. Horn, the cornerback out of South Carolina, I think that's definitely an uh, option, especially since there's rumors that the Patriots will trade Stephon Gilmore. They're going to need a lockdown corner, especially um, when we look at the, the division. We have a lot of young quarterbacks that will probably be airing out the ball. You got Josh Allen, you got Tua, and you have um, Sam Darnold or you know, potential new face there that would obviously be proven if they're trading Sam Darnold or drafting one of the top tier quarterbacks this year. So I like that move. Mac Jones, I, I've gone up and down with this guy. I don't think he's going to be a guy that you can just throw in the NFL. I think he's a guy that needs to sit back and watch a couple of years. And I don't think the Patriots are in that position. So I just don't see that happening. And I think if you're the Patriots, I don't think you want a quarterback in this draft class, unless it is Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, and I don't think that's an opportunity that you're going to have, I would not want Trey Lance. I would not want Mac Jones. So I, I like the idea of them taking the other positional players, especially if Mika Parsons is available, and I do not like the move of Mac Jones if I'm a Patriots fan. Now we got the Cardinals, number 16. Jeremiah has them taking Elijah Vera Tucker, the guard from USC, saying that he would still be available. Mel Kuyper has them taking Caleb Farley, say, Farley, saying he's still available, the corner that we had talked about. And the Athletic has them taking an edge rusher, Aziz Ujulari from Georgia. Chandler Jones being hurt. Defense needs improvement. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case there. When we're talking Farley, they're saying they're probably not going to bring back Peterson. That's a good move as well if he still slips as he's taken earlier in the other mock drafts. And then Elijah Vera Tucker, you got to give Kyler Murray. I mean, they have quite a few needs as well. I like all those moves. Would not be surprised if those were the players available that they would take. Take the best linemen or defensive players you can. I mean, that's really the, the summary here. We move to the Raiders. We got the Las Vegas Raiders taking Quiddy Payne, number 17, out of Michigan, the edge rusher. Um, uh, Mel Kuyper has him taking... Uh, Jalen Phillips, the DN out of Miami, and the Athletic has them taking Christian Barmore, the D tackle out of Alabama. I would not be surprised if this has happened. If you look at Gruden and all these picks that he's had since he's been on the uh, front office, um, you know the Clellan Farrells, the, the the people that have been knocked a little bit for early reach. 
I wouldn't be surprised if he moves defensively. Uh, he has some young talent, a lot of injuries the past year, but that's the biggest focus for this team, especially when you look at the high-powered offenses in that division. And he's going to mold his team to beat the Chiefs, let's be honest. I mean, if you want to win a Super Bowl and come out of there, you got to beat Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, and you've got to build a defense that can stop that team. Now you have Justin Herbert in the division that's looking very impressive. So I think they go defense 100%, and there is no shocker there. Let's move to pick 18. In this position, oops, we have the Dolphins with a few different. Oh, what did I do here? With a few different situations, because there was previous trades in some of the mock drafts, we have, according to General Jeremiah, the Dolphins taking Najee Harris with the number eighteen pick overall, first running back off the board. Mel Kuyper has them taking linebacker at Notre Dame, Jeremiah Owusu, Koromoho, Koromoa. And then the Athletic has another trade. They have the Steelers trading up for Christian Derrissaw, the offensive tackle, giving the Dolphins their 24th pick, their third round pick this year, and sixth round pick. There's potential rumor that Derrissaw is still available later off in the round. We had just, the Steelers had just traded up for Devin Bush previously, top 10. First time they picked up in the top 10. Even with or without Ben Roethlisberger, I see it hard for them trading up. They are definitely going to be offensive line focused, in my opinion. So I wouldn't be too surprised here. Giving up the 24th pick, third round, and sixth round to get your guy. I know that they have uh, some picks getting brought in because of some free agents that they had signed and off-signed. They got some compensatory picks. I'm not too mad about that as a Steelers fan. I, I know that everyone says that, the, that we want Derrissaw. If that's the case, he's available. Dolphins give us for an extra third and six. I'm not mad about it. Um, with the actual pick, though, the Dolphins taking the, the linebacker out of Notre Dame. That's a great pick. Najee Harris, they really, really need a room need room for a running back Alabama player played with Tua. Let's just talk a little bit about these positions, quarterbacks and running backs, because we've, we've gone over a few here. We talked Mac Jones, the Patriots potential on that mock draft. We're talking Najee Harris off the board here. So the way I see it, I had looked at since 2016 running backs and quarterbacks and how they've translated and where the values are. And I think the front offices and teams are very well aware of this. The first thing when drafting a young stud at running back how many running backs are bell cow running backs anymore? You could say Christian McCaffrey because he's such an elite receiver. Ezekiel Elliott, he's still got Tony Pollard there, though, who's shown very capable as a runner. Dalvin Cook, which you still have Alexander Madison, who I am very high on, and I think damn near similar to Dalvin Cook. And... Like Nick Chubb, you would want to say, but they got Hunt there. I mean, not many teams are running one running back most downs as an every-down guy. They have a running back by committee because these guys' body can't take it. They get so much beating in college. They come in the NFL. They have a couple translatable years, and it's tough. It'll be interesting to see what the Colts do with Jonathan Taylor, who had a lot of yards on him in college as Marlon Mack's a free agent and I think has performed very well since he's been there. I would assume they would want to keep that one-two punch, but there's rumors that they can't based on the new salary cap, you know, once that's official. But let's talk a little bit about this. So if we look back at the running backs in the draft that were taken first round, let's go to 2016. Ezekiel Elliott was drafted number four overall 
And the next running back that drafted was Derrick Henry with the 13th pick in the second round. Okay, well, I take number four where I could get a for sure offensive guard, defensive edge rusher, those types of things, cornerback. Or would you rather have, like, is Ezekiel Elliott that much better when you could have had Derrick Henry in the second? I mean, that's a decent debate because Ezekiel Elliott at his peak has performed very well. But I don't, my point being, there's not much of a drop off there. The Cowboys probably could have drafted a positional player that made a big difference there and still got a good running back that made them as quality of a team as they are. In 2017, number four overall was Leonard Fournette, who had a couple good years in Jacksonville, had a late start there, phased out, has went to a few different teams, and there was even rumors that the Buccaneers were going to cut him in December. They ended up not, and he ended up performing and was playoff Lenny, which was great to see. The next running backs that were taken was McCaffrey, number eight, Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon in the second round, Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt, and James Conner in the third. Would the Jaguars been affected with the number four overall pick if they took Dalvin Cook or Joe Mixon in the second, Kamara, Hunt, or Conner in the third? I don't think there's a huge drop-off there at all, if not even a better pick. If they could have got Dalvin Cook, um, I mean, Jesus Christ, I think Dalvin Cook's uh, the, the best running back in the league today. How about the Panthers? Number eight, they got McCaffrey. The only other people that potentially could have fitted that scheme better and performed as well. Dalvin Cook, maybe Joe Mixon, probably not, and Kamara. So, point being, though, you draft Kamara, you draft Dalvin Cook instead of Mixon, or instead of McCaffrey or Fournette, you're still well off. You could get better positional players that were definitely in need. I mean, we looked at the Jaguars and the, the Panthers at the time. There was a, a, a ton of needs and a lot of players that they could have had that would have fixed their position. So, let's move to 2018. The only first-round running backs taken were Saquon Barkley with the number two overall pick, and then we had Mr. Rashad Penny and Sonny Michelle at the end of the first, which was pretty crazy by the Patriots because they have such a committee of running backs. Sonny Michelle hasn't done that much. He's getting phased out in New England as we speak. Rashad Penny never existed in the first place, and then Saquon Barkley doing well, had a lot of miles in college, has obviously been injured. I think we'll be fine. You know, they're happy with that. Other running backs taken. In the second round, you had Nick Chubb, Kerryon Johnson, Ronald Jones, Darius Geis. Those are some big names. Kerryon hasn't performed as well. Ronald Jones has taken a while to get acclimated, but he's part of a Super Bowl team and had some big plays this year, over 1,000 yards. I'm sure he'll be a continually 1,000-yard you know, rusher. Darius Geis, I'm very high on. He's been injured. Uh, Nick Chubb is doing Nick Chubb things. Obviously, that whole list in the second round is better than Penny and Michelle. But if you're the Giants, number two overall, would they have fallen off if they had taken Chubb in the second or Darius Geis? Not a, not a ton, especially because Darius and uh, Saquon are both hurt, and Nick Chubb's been a consistent animal ever since. So I still think you could follow the same formula here. They could have got better or equal guys later on in the round and then improve their team with... You know, the teams that are drafted this high, they have a lot of holes, right? You're not going to get a team that drafts top 10, top 15, and aren't going to need a lot of positions, right? They're, they're, that's the reason they're drop, drafted in the top 10 and top 15. So let's move on to 2019. The only running back in the first round was Josh Jacobs by the Raiders of the 24th overall. Miles Sanders, Darrell Henderson, David Montgomery, Devin Singletary, Alexander Madison, and Damian Harris were drafted in the second and third rounds. Josh Jacobs done pretty well, battled some injuries this past year, 
Um, actually split some a decent amount of time with um, Devin Booker, or not Devin Booker. Um, I can't remember his first name, but Booker, uh, the, the, the guy that came from Denver. Miles Sanders has done great in the second round. Darrell Henderson showed peak moments. You know, Sean McVay couldn't figure out a running back rotation very well. Uh, but I think when Henderson started, he shined, and I think he's a legit running back. Uh, David Montgomery had a great end of the year. You know, the Bears are kind of a shit show. I don't blame David Montgomery for his performance. I think he's a stud. David Singletary, maybe not as much. He's very underwhelmed. Uh, but Alexander Madison hasn't had a chance, but when he does, he looks just like Dalvin Cook. And Damian Harrison has done really well at the Patriots. Could the Raiders out of the first round have gotten a guy that's just as equal to their offense that's done well? 100%. So still same, follows the same formula. Let's look at last year. The first round running back was the end of the draft. Clyde's Edwards Hilaire by the Chiefs. Um, in the second round, we had uh, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, and A.J. Dillon. In the third round, we had Antonio Gibson and Zach Moss. Really good stable of backs in that class. Uh, some people had even opted out that are coming into this year's class because it was such a stacked class. Could the Chiefs, you know, it's the very end of the first round. Like, that's not as bad as drafting a running back, you know, top 10, top 15. But outside of that, could they have gotten equivalent value or better out of DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, A.J. Dillon, Antonio Gibson? Yeah, I mean... Absolutely. Some of these guys have had 1,000-yard rushes, done really well. Even A.J. Dillon being behind Jamal Williams and uh, Aaron Jones has looked very well, and I think the Packers are investing him as their future starting running back. So they could have drafted somebody else. That team was so stacked, though, they're probably like, oh, what else do we need outside of running back? You can't really go wrong with that pick, but it still follows the formula that I'm trying to relay. So should the Dolphins take Najee Harris at number 18? Absolutely not. As a Steelers fan, after watching that Alabama game, I really wanted the Steelers to draft Najee Harris. You know, I would really like to have them have ETN. Let's say we they keep Big Ben back. That offense, you know, improves. The new offensive coordinator and Ben work well together, and the defense plays at the same level. Could they have an opportunity? Absolutely. Is that going to happen? Probably not. But do you want to put Najee Harris in there when, with the salary cap, they'll probably lose two offensive linemen, you have a guy coming back from ACL injury, and David DeCastro is only getting older and Pouncey's retired. So would you rather have a for-sure offensive lineman to protect, protect your old quarterback or your new quarterback that you're grooming, or would you do that? I mean, outside of ETN and Harris, you have Michael Carter from North Carolina, Javante Williams out of North Carolina. That's interesting, two North Carolina running backs. Um... Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis, Jarrett Patterson from Buffalo, Ramondre Stevenson from Oklahoma, Kylan Hill from Mississippi State, Trey Sermon, who had the huge end of season at Ohio State, Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State. Like, There's some pretty solid running backs in there. Is Najee Harris going to be that good or Travis Etienne that good for Miami that they can't wait for the later rounds? I don't think so. If anything, it's going to be that Tua is trying to play with his old Alabama team and they're trying to copy the Alabama um, formula. But if you're, a, if you're a Dolphins fan, you're praying that you don't draft a running back in the first round. The linebacker decision and trading with the Steelers, though, obviously, if you're a Dolphins fan, that's nice. The Dolphins still get a first-round pick when, obviously, they didn't need that running back in a third and six. So if you're a Dolphins fan, please don't. You're praying that you don't draft a running back. 
Now let's go to Washington football team. I hope they change that. I hope they don't keep that. Every time people tweet like WFT, I think it's WTF. I'm always getting confused. I'm just ready for an actual football team name to be out of the capital. So Jeremiah has him taking Derisaw, the tackle from Virginia Tech. Uh, Kuiper has him taking Tony, the wide receiver from Florida. And wait, what pick are we on? We're on 19. Because of previous trades, this is a Lions trade. They have the Lions taking the linebacker out of Notre Dame. Athletic Lions, the linebacker, that's a great pick. Um, Jeremiah, Derisaw, we just talked about how highly teams are thinking of him. That's a great pick. They need to improve their line. But let's talk about Kadarius Tony, the receiver out of Florida. We talked about how deep the wide receiver class is and how impressive that class is. Do you really want to make a move and grab a receiver for that team? They don't have their quarterback. They have a lot of needs. They have a really great front seven on their defense. I highly doubt that they go receiver this early, but is it really that bad of a pick? I mean, their receiving core is pretty piss poor. Um, so I wouldn't be too surprised, but if I'm Washington, I'm hoping for something else outside of that receiver, unless Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, or Devontae Smith are available, or Kyle Pitts. Going to 20, they have the, uh, Jeremiah, or excuse me, Kuiper has the Bears taking Te- Tevin Jenkins, the tackle out of Oklahoma State. Daniel Jeremiah has him taking Tony, the receiver out of Florida. And because of previous trade, oh no. The Athletic has the Bears taking Tevin Jenkins, the tackle out of Oklahoma State. I highly doubt they're going to roll with Mitch Trubisky. Supposedly, they're the favorites for Deshaun Watson at this moment. You got to build around the linemen and around that new quarterback. The lineman doesn't surprise me. The receiver doesn't either. Um, we look at that team. The defense is pretty solid. Um, you look at their run game. They got David Montgomery. So, yeah, I want to be too surprised if they took a receiver here. I, I don't think as high as this Tony guy as other people do. So I, I don't know if I like that player specifically. We look at the receivers outside of the Chase Waddle, Devonte Smith top three. You have Rashad Bateman, Ronald, uh, Rondelmore, Amron, St. Brown from USC, Tylen Wallace, the big bodied receiver out of Oklahoma state, Terrence Marshall, the LSU receiver. Um, so I, I like some of the other fits there personally, uh, but you can't go wrong building around your new franchise quarterback. If they don't get a franchise quarterback, then does it really matter at this point? <laughs> Let's talk Colts 21. Jeremiah has them taking the corner. Greg Newsom, the second out of Northwestern A Northwestern defense was stacked this year. Uh, the Colts or uh, Kuiper has them taking Quiddy Payne, D end of Michigan and the athletic has Buffalo trading up, giving them, their 30th pick, third round, and fifth round pick to get J.C. Horn, the corner out of South Carolina. The Athletic has a lot of trades going on. I do suspect a lot of trades. So, you know, you see this, your teams that are probably in the top 15, there will be trades uh, because people are trying to get up and, and get their guy. But if we look at the cornerback and the DN, I, I'm not mad about those moves. Um, the Bills trying to improve their defense, I would not be surprised about that. So I agree with all those. Those aren't, aren't too crazy moves. Number 22, the Titans. Jeremiah has them taking Jalen Phillips, the edge rusher out of Miami. Kuiper has them taking Rousseau, the D-end out of Miami. And the Athletic has Jalen Phillips, the edge out of Miami. The T- We know the, the culture of the Titans. We know the team and the specifics. 
would it be surprising after what's happened with their edge rushing scenarios the past few years at Clowney and whatnot that they would take an edge rusher? Absolutely not. I think that fits the culture. It fits the mold. You want to get a guy that could change the culture and change the foundation of that defense? No surprise there. 23, the Jets have Ronnie Perkins, the edge rusher out of Oklahoma. Kuiper has him taking J.C. Horn, the corner from South Carolina we just mentioned. And because of previous trades, this would be the Niners pick. They have him taking uh, Quiddy Payne, the edge rusher out of Michigan. I mean, if you're a Jets fan, do you want to improve your defense? What happens at quarterback? Do you want to improve there? There's so many needs here. You take the best player available. If it's an edge rusher, you can't go wrong. In the scenario that they had traded with the Niners, if you're a Niners fan, do you want an edge rusher? You already have a good defense. That's more debatable, but I don't think these are crazy picks. Let's move on to my Pittsburgh Steelers. Jeremiah has in the Steelers taken Jalen Mayfield to tackle out of Michigan because the Carousel guy is gone. Kuiper has him taken Zaven Collins, um, edge DN outside linebacker from Tulsa. And because of the previous trade, the Athletic has the Dolphins here taking Zaven Collins, linebacker out of Tulsa. People are high on this Tulsa linebacker. I don't know, you know, obviously I don't watch a lot of Tulsa games. I don't know uh, about him as much. I wouldn't be surprised if the Dolphins, you know, if that trade happened, they would make that pick. I don't see the Steelers making a defensive move first. If Ben comes back, the focus is improving that offense. You have to play better. I don't want to see a linebacker here. Sure, you know, with Bud Dupree most likely being gone, you got TJ Watt. I do like what I saw out of the rookie uh, Highsmith. I don't think that that's a move that the Steelers should make. Jalen Mayfield is tackle. He plays at the Big Ten, big school. You know, I wouldn't be surprised here. Obviously, I would rather have them take Carasaw, but I'm not too surprised about these, except for uh, Kuiper having them take Zayvon Collins. I hope that does not happen, as the defense is in a lot better position than the offense. Moving on to 25, the Jaguars. Jeremiah has them take the linebacker, Koromoa, from Notre Dame, saying he would still be available. Mel Kuiper has them take Barmore, the D big D tackle from Bama. And the Athletic has Trayvon Morig, the uh, safety out of TCU. I think the Jaguars are going to focus on defense, so none of these surprise me. I think out of these, if they do have um, Kamoa out of Notre Dame available, that would be a huge win for Jaguars fans. Moving back to the AFC North, we got the Browns with 26. Jeremiah has them take Joe Tyron, edge, rush, edge rusher out of UW. Go Huskies. Um... Kuiper has them take Aaron Robinson, the defensive back out of Central Florida. And the Athletic has them taking Jason Owa, the edge rusher out of Penn State. I think it's no secret that they need to improve that defense. Edge rusher, defensive back, and edge rusher. I mean, I don't think you could go wrong. If you're a Browns fan, you want the best player available on defense, whether it's linebacker or anywhere in the secondary. Then the rival, the Ravens, Jeremiah has them take Tavon Mulling, the safety at a TCU. Kuiper has them take Terrence Marshall, the wide receiver at a LSU. And the Athletic has them take Jalen Mayfield, the offensive guard out of Michigan. There's rumors that Orlando Brown wants out, has requested a trade. 
I think if you're the Ravens, you have to build around Lamar Jackson. That defense is a little patchwork, but it gets the job done. With your first pick, you need a game changer on that offense. Marquise Brown, I had talked about, I feel like is going to be a legit number one, but more of a speed threat. You need to have a big-bodied receiver here. I would expect them to go offense with that position. Um, the safety, sure, they have a need there. Terrence Marshall, I do like that pick out of LSU. Proven SEC player. I think if you're the Ravens, that's the move. And Jalen Mayfield, the guard out of Michigan. Uh, I mean, you need to save, save your quarterback as well. So I wouldn't be surprised. But if you can get Marshall, that's a huge win if you're a Ravens fan. Or Bateman. I think you can't go wrong with Bateman either. Moving on to 28, we have the Saints taking Mac Jones, quarterback, by Daniel Jeremiah's methodology. Kuiper says uh, Morig, the safety at a TCU. And the Athletic has them taking Mac Jones as well. The Saints are in a precarious situation here because out of this, I, I think it's going to be the Winston um, Taysom Hill show. It's going to be a little bit of a combo. Is that going to be the team that you want? I highly doubt it, but the team is pretty well built outside of the quarterback position. Would I be surprised if they take a quarterback at the end of the first? No. If Mac Jones falls out, is that going to be a terrible pick? Does he have to start right away? No. I think that might be a, a pretty solid fit. Give him some time. No rushing to things. Good front office. Good quarterback coaching. If I'm the Saints, though, I don't really want to draft Mac Jones, I don't think. I mean, I don't know. He, he's a, one of the bigger wild cards. Um, I think Kyle Trask is a pretty similar player you could get later in the draft. Um, when we look at the needs of the Saints, positions that come to mind, Definitely corner, edge rusher, and receiver. So I think you could probably get a pretty high-level receiver here, but you can get a high-level receiver later in the rounds. I, I'm not mad about that pick, but I would rather improve the secondary or the edge. End of the first round as we go, the Packers. Jeremiah has them take Tevin Jacobs, the tackle out of Oklahoma State. If you're a Packers fan, you'd love that pick. Uh, Kuiper has them taking Campbell, corner out of Georgia. I don't think you could be upset with that pick either. Give Jair some help in the secondary. And uh, the athletic has them take Stokes to corner out of Georgia. So I think those are great picks if you're Packers fans. I think potential wide receiver droppage. Um, you could get a big-name receiver here as well. Um, that's what I'd be rooting for if I'm a Packer fan. Moving on to Buffalo. Jeremiah has them take Aziz Oljolari, the edge rusher from Georgia. Kuiper has him take Najee Harris running back out of Bama. And because of previous trades, the Athletic have the Colts taking a tackle here. If you're the Colts, you, you trade it down. You got some extra picks. You get an offensive tackle that's going to start. There's no wrong there. When we talk about Daniel Jeremiah having him taking the edge rusher, if he's still available there, that's a great pick. I think that'd be huge for their defense. This is an interesting pick for Najee because I do think he is cream of the crop him and etn are above the rest of the field there is sincerely a need for a good running game as they threw the ball a bajillion times and if there was a bell cow back that i would want to run with in this class is Najee harris because travis etn does have so many carries in college i'm not mad about this pick i just talked to you about the formula of all these running back scenarios and how there's other good running backs you look though at the the chiefs who did this last year towards the end of the first round Okay, Cam Akers versus CEH. What do they get at the end of the first round? Uh, 
you know, fifth, sixth ranked offensive tackle, decent secondary player, which probably would have helped. Is that going to make their team completely different? I mean, Clyde CEH really helped that team, especially because Bell came in and did, didn't do shit. So I don't think that's a terrible play. That's a splashy play that fans will like. Um, but if they wait for the second round, I think if they don't take the running back, you got to take uh, the best of L running back round two. Maybe you trade up round two and get Travis Etienne. But I'm not too, I'm not terribly mad at that pick if I'm a Bills fan. Daniel Jeremiah has the Chiefs, the Super Bowl uh, runner-up, taking Landon Dickerson, probably the best center in the draft class. Ah, I mean, that would be an amazing pick if they're able to, to pull that off. Kuiper has the Bucks taking Joe Tyron. Why do they have the Bucks? Chiefs gets a trade. I don't know. That's weird. Um, maybe this was outdated before the Super Bowl. Because the Chiefs would pick here. He has them taking Aziz Aljilari, the edge rusher from Georgia. That's a great pick for Chiefs fans. Landon Dickerson, that's a great pick. And then they have on the athletic them taking Landon Dickerson. So those are all great picks. If you're Chiefs fans, you can't be mad there. Jeremiah has the Bucks taking Nick Bolton, linebacker out of Missouri. The Mr. Mel Kuyper himself has him taking the DN out of Washington, Tyron, we discussed earlier. And because of the trade with Miami, Miami would trade here to get Travis Etienne. Tampa would then get their second round, fourth round, and sixth round pick of the draft. That's a lot to give up for Mr. Travis Etienne when there's other running backs, but they're assuming that he'll be gone. Um, Maybe, you know, they have a, a good stash of picks, so maybe that's not a terrible move for them. But I like the idea of the Bucks drafting defense here. Um, I mean, there's so many, so many weapons on that team. You want to improve the, the pass rush and give you better depth. So those are great picks. Not surprised. Quickly, as we wrap up mock drafts, let's talk the quarterbacks as we did the running backs. I went back to 2016 and looked at quarterbacks that were drafted in the first two rounds and seen, out of my opinion, who is translating and who hasn't. When we look at the 2020 class, I think I'm going to roll with Tua as being a successful quarterback. I know he looked a little rough. He's coming off a crazy injury. I think over time, though, and I think Miami's going to roll with Tua, that he'll be fine. Obviously, Joe Burrow, he's going to be translatable. The biggest problem with Joe is he plays for the Bengals, and he'll probably be a, a wild card guy his, his career. I think Justin Herbert, I think we can all agree that was a success. So that's the three. The other quarterback for debate that was drafted in the top two rounds that will be successful is Jalen Hurts. Or no, not Jalen Hurts. I don't think Jalen Hurts is a court, uh, franchise guy. You know, I'm, I'm an Oklahoma fan. I'd watch him closely. I just don't think he's going to translate to a franchise quarterback. Um, the other guy was Jordan Love. So the debate here is, is to a quarterback that's going to last and be a franchise quarterback. I mean, there's uncertainty there, but I'm going to go on the yes. So let's say four of the five... In 2020, we're NFL translatable quarterbacks. If that happens to this year's class with the projected mock of five quarterbacks, hey, maybe the Trey Lances, maybe the Mac Jones works out for the teams. That could be a win-win. As we go back further, though, the numbers get less. So we look at 2019. Two of the four quarterbacks in the first two rounds are successful quarterbacks in the NFL. The big debate here is whether you want to commit uh, to Drew Locke being a good quarterback or not for potentially a third. I like Drew Locke, but I think it's more the Jalen Hurts situation. He's a 
He's a, a patchworks, you know, he's a Ryan Fitzpatrick type quarterback. I don't see him leading the franchise the way they want to go, especially as tough as that franchise or that division is, and you have to beat Pat Mahomes, and that's just not going to get the job done. Let's look at 2018. I would say for a 5R because I'm a fan of Darnold. I don't think he's gotten his due credit, but if you disagree with me on the Darnold situation, I wouldn't be too surprised. Let's go back to 2017. I'm saying two of the four here. Um, pretty rough class here with Mitchell Trubisky being drafted high. Uh, the two that were successful, Watson and Mahomes. I don't think you could debate that. Um, but two of four, I mean, that's not very good. If it's two of the five this year, there's going to be some teams that made some bad decisions. And then 2016, I would say one. And that one was Mr. Carson Wentz himself because I'm not giving Jared Goff any credit. I mean, that's the Rams, right? They had such a good team. The big reason that Jared Goff and um, Sean McVay got butted heads is McVay committed him to be the franchise guy and through time and play realized that he wasn't good enough and wasn't going to get the job done. That's why they're bringing in Stafford. I do think Wentz is going to be a good NFL quarterback. Hopefully he goes to the Colts. Regardless, let's say he goes to Chicago. I think he'll prove himself. He is playing with no offensive line for two years. He's battling injuries. He was trying to do too much because the team was a, uh, a shit show. And they're literally grabbing receivers out of the AFL, XFL, off the freaking street. So I, I, I am saying, Wentz, if you want to come at me and have a debate or debate Wentz all you want, bring it in the comments. Tweet me. You guys got it at Podcast Buckets. I'd love to have that discussion because Wentz is going to show you that he is a starting franchise quarterback. That's it for the NFL, though. I love going through the mock drafts, just giving my two cents. I think it's an interesting year, a big offseason. And with five projected quarterbacks, I mean, it's going to be a crazy year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the five were taken, but I do feel like you're looking at a two. I mean, if we look at this past few years, we're saying one, that's debatable with Wentz for most people, two in 2017, four in 2018, and that's debatable with Darnold. Two in uh, 2019, unless you want to say Locke's a guy. And then three out of five, unless you want to put two in, which I am, four out of five in 2020. So, I mean, with those numbers, the, the average is two and a half of the five quarterbacks. So two of the f five quarterbacks will be for sure things. I think we all know that's Lawrence and Fields. So, well, a lot of people are saying Wilson, but I'm not going to give them credit. So Wilson, Jones, and Trey Lance, that's three teams that are going to be drafting quarterbacks, hoping to make a change and will probably not get the <laughs> result that they so desire. So that's huge stipulations for the next few years, especially for some teams. Uh, hey, maybe the freaking Steelers draft one of these bastards and, and ruin it for us. So, um, let's move on to the fight. So lots of things happening in the fight world. So let's come at you with the UFC 258 recap. UFC 258. It was a doozy. I would have never guessed that Usman would finish Gilbert Burns in the first three rounds though. I mean, it was round three, so it's not like it was round one or two, but I was very impressed. I mean, this guy needs to get his credit. If I could compare someone to GSP, Usman's the closest. I've talked about this before. But what a performance, man. I mean, the jab, the leg work, the way he can take the damage. The guy can do just a little bit of everything around the, the cage. And I thought this was such an awesome performance by Usman. Um, obviously, these guys were training partners, very close friends. I'm sure they'll still be very close friends. Um, Usman had left the gym in Florida to go to... Uh, train in Denver with Gaethje and squad. Um, 
basically Burns had said that he had sparred over 200 rounds with Usman. So when we're talking about these guys knew each other very well, they did. And I think a lot of that aggression at the beginning of the fight from Burns came from him knowing that Usman's potentially the better fighter, you know, has the advantage and that he needed to clean his clock to get the dub. Uh, Gilbert Burns talked about Cody Garbranting it in the game, that he was a little aggressive. He uses emotions against him and was a little bit wild and not as precise and, and locked in. So he felt like that had something to do with the fight. But Usman said, hey, you know, all respect to, to Burns. He definitely belongs to be in this cage with me. It sucks that he doesn't get a title after a performance and just the way he's been fighting. But I'm the varsity guy. He's the JV guy. That is what it is. Um, but awesome effing performance by Usman. That was very well done. I think that when it comes to pound for pound fighters, Outside of John Jones, he's the top guy, even above Izzy. I would love for him to move up and potentially fight Izzy and the people in that weight class uh, because this man is a real deal, real deal, holy filled. And I don't think a lot of people give him the credit that is due. When we talk about amazing fights, amazing fighters, his name doesn't get up a lot. I think he is getting more respect now after his past few fights. But before the Masvidal fight, before the Covington fight, the guy got no credit. So excited to see him shine and perform the way I expected. Uh, but damn, to finish Burns like that, I, I was very impressed. I thought it was going to go decision. But where do they go from here? I, I, I said in the last pod that if Usman does win this, he deserves a super fight. I would love to see him fight GSP if GSP is going to fight again. And I'd love him to move up to fight um, Izzy's class. Izzy's going up to fight uh, Blakovich. If Izzy really wants to be the man and, and, and be the GOAT, he can fight Blakovich, come back, and defend his title in a super fight against Usman. How sick would that be? And if that's not the case, maybe um, Usman can get the, the winner of the Whitaker-Costa fight, which would still be a banger. Let him adjust to this new class. I think that would be a lot of fun as well. Um, Usman had called out Street Jesus. He doesn't obviously want that big super fight that I would like to see him have. Uh, he said that um, he wants wants to fight him with a full training cap because he's been talking all the shit that he had took the camp on fight no or short notice. And if he had a full fight camp, he could beat Usman. I think Usman is, is light years above uh, Masvidal and performance wise. Masvidal is a fun, exciting fighter to watch, but when it comes to skill level and competency, I don't think he's anywhere close. Um, GSP said that he doesn't get excited when the idea of fighting Usman comes up. Um, he's not motivated on that. So at this point, he said it's too difficult to fight Khabib, uh, because of weight and he's not motivated to fight Usman. I highly doubt he's ever going to fight again. Uh, so I'm just going to stop talking about GSP until we see that happen and credit to him. You know, he's earned it. He's, uh, the go potentially besides John Jones, in my opinion. I mean, this isn't going to tarnish his legacy if he did come and get his ass whooped at wood. So I'll just stop talking GSP from this point moving forward. But when it comes to um, the Masvidal fight, it just shows to me that, you know, he asked for all this respect on his name, but he wants the easy payday. And that's the way I see it. Um, his actions aren't equaling what, what he's talking about and what he wants. He would ask for a bigger fight than that if, if that was the case. Um, when it comes to Gilbert Burns, I'm not too sure. I, I would think that Colby Covington's the fight that makes sense. He said that he wanted to have a quick turnaround. He got some... 
uh, positive influence from fighters that have taken losses, gone on to quickly turn around, get that dub, and then and go for title fights again. Uh, maybe Leon Edwards would be a good fight. Edwards had his Ch- uh, uh, Chimaev fight get called out because of COVID issues through Chimaev's camp. So he wants to get a fight going soon on the same card. That's potential for Burns to get back into another fight camp and fight Edwards. So I could see those two being great opponents. A lot of people knock Edwards and nobody wants to fight him, but I think he's a high-quality fighter in this division and deserves an opportunity. I would like to see that, but we'll see. Uh, the co-main event, we had Alexa Grasso just outclassing Macy Barber. That was the one pick I had wrong on my parlay. Macy Barber, this young up-and-coming prospect coming off ACL injury. I had figured that she was going to come above and beyond, but Alexa Grasso, we all know she had good boxing, was just the ultimate fighter through this fight, uh, was tough as nails, had the cardio, pushed the pace, and pushed the ma- uh, bigger Macy Barber out of the center, which if you looked at the fight, Macy Barber is pretty big for that class. So I was very impressed. Um, looked like potentially one of the best boxers Grasso in, in boxing and all of women's UFC, uh, which is very impressive. Where does she go from here? Who knows? Uh, you look at the rankings, I could see her potentially fighting uh, Jessica I or Joanne Calderwood because she's lost to a lot of the other names in the weight class. Um, I, I wouldn't want her to see her, see her fight the people that she's already lost to. But to continually move up in the weight class, you almost have to. She's ranked number 10 now. She moved up five spots with this win. She basically just traded spots with Macy Barber now at 15. She's already fought... Um, Three of the top five people, uh, Joanne's ranked number six and Jessica, Jessica, I ranked number eight. So those would be good fights that I would like to see where Macy goes from here. She really has to win her next fight or the hype train's completely stopped. Uh, I'd expect her to look good and, and, and get a victory. I doubt people in the top 15 are going to want to fight her. So maybe she'll get an opportunity to fight someone right outside the top 15, get her momentum going back. But who knows? She's still Obviously thought highly of if she's ranked after that performance. The Kevin Gastelum and Ian Hanish fight was very good. It was good to see Kelvin back in there, getting back in the win column after a couple uh, losses in a row, after you know pushing Izzy as far as anybody has pushed him. Uh, his cardio looked good. Typical Gastelum fight. Uh, Hanish is no slump by any means, but he could fight the winner, in my opinion, of maybe this uh, Brunson-Holland fight. Maybe the Till versus Marvin Vittori fight. Gastelum lost a split decision to Till already and hasn't fought Brunson or Holland. We look at the rankings in this class. Kevin, uh, Kelvin Gastelum is now ranked number eight. Brunson seven. Holland is ten. You know, Holland with a big win against Brunson. Brunson could move up. He could fight someone who's more proven within that division. So that'll be interesting to see what happens there. I'd like to see Kelvin work his way back up. Because the top of that class is just, you know, elite. We're talking Darren Till, Killer Gorilla, Jared Cannonier, Paula Costa, Robert Whitaker. So um, I, it was just good to see him back on track. The other fight that I liked watching that I had put in my parlay was the Ricky Simone uh, and Brian Kelleher fight. Simone looked good. It went pretty much exactly the way I thought it would. Just a younger, more active guy, used his cardio to his advantage, and Kelleher couldn't land the big bombs. He's known for the boom Kelleher. Um, but I'm excited to see where Ricky Simone get, goes. I don't think he gets enough credit in the bantamweight class. He is not ranked in the top 15 as we speak. 
Number 15, we got Marlon Chito Vera. Song Yadong, 14, he's got a fight scheduled. Cody Stamen doesn't have a fight after his uh, last fights at, in uh, Abu Dhabi got canceled because of COVID issues and weight issues. Um, but I could see him getting someone right outside the top 15 or maybe even Marlon Vera as he's coming off a couple losses. So that would be a good fight to see. But I think this guy is definitely a 10 to 15 uh, skill level within the class and, and will upset some people, even though this class is pretty stacked. I mean, we're talking 13 Cody Stamen, 12 Marab De, uh, Devilishi De or whatever his name is. Solid fighter. Can't pronounce his name. Uh, we got Dom Cruz, Rafael Asuncao, and the top 10 list goes on. So really tough weight class, but I don't think Ricky Simone gets enough credit. And this was a big win to leapfrog him into some, some more momentum. Anthony Hernandez, great performance with the upset and the submission of uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu expert Rodolfo Vieira. That was a surprising fight that I had not talked about coming into the card that was awesome to watch. And then um, uh, one of the fun things was Julian Marquez winning. And at the end, they asked him to, to give a call out. And he was like, all right, all right, I'm going to call out Miley Cyrus. Will you please be my Valentine? Uh, that was hilarious. I don't know if that was for press or joke or if he's really shooting his shot. Uh, but Miley had actually tweeted that if you shave a MC in your chest hair, she's all his. So um, that was kind of cool. Miley Cyrus responded. I don't know if either of those are, if that's serious or what, you never know at the internet anymore, uh, but that was kind of funny to see uh, him shoot a shot uh, in his post-fight conference. Really good fight uh, in the early, in the prelims was Bilal Muhammad over Diego Lima. That fight went pretty much the way I expected it as well. Uh, I'd love to see Bilal Muhammad versus Li Jingling. Uh, you look at them, they're both right outside uh, the, the, the bottom half of the top 15 rankings in their class. And, um, Li Jing Lang, man, he, he's been out cardio and people out boxing people. I think that'd be a good matchup as he's ranked 12 and Bilal's ranked 13 in the class. So that'll be a fun matchup. Uh, Bilal's fought a G Ling have fought a lot of the other guys in the division thus far. So I would expect that fight to happen. And, um, when it came to the Diego Lima fight, I mean, he just had way more volume and, and the, the takedown to top it. <sighs> I, I like Diego watching him out of the ultimate fighter, but he just really hasn't performed in the UFC. And if the UFC is making a lot of these cuts, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being cut. Moving on UFC fight night this weekend. Not, not that stacked of a card when it comes to the fighters I'm aware of. And that I'm familiar just by looking at names, uh, but a couple fights coming into the prelims that has me interested is the Jakar Close versus Luis Pena. It's a lightweight battle. Um, Jakar Close got some pretty good momentum. Pena just took this on short notice as Close's uh, opponent had dropped out, I believe, due to COVID issues. Both are wrestlers. I'm familiar with Pena from the Ultimate Fighter days. Uh, Daniel Cormier was his coach at the time. He's a really interesting fighter. He throws random things coming at you, a little unorthodox. But uh, he has a six-inch re six reach advantage, and I've seen him been able to throw some pretty killer strikes uh, from his hands and his and his feet. So I would expect him to throw in some nice kicks, uh, check that leg from Dakar. I don't know if either of these guys, you know, typically with two good wrestlers, they just try to outstrike each other. Uh, but I'm going to take Pena in that fight. It's going to be a fun fight to watch two guys that can move their way up in a stacked lightweight division. And then we have 
Mr. Andre Arlovsky. He's fighting again at 42 years old. He's been looking really good of late. He's fighting the young up-and-comer Tom Aspinall. Just based off who they fought recently in the level of competition, Arlovsky keeps winning against pretty top, you know, pretty good heavy hitters. And uh, Tom Aspinall really hasn't fought a big name yet. This would be a good win for him to leapfrog himself, but I'm taking Arlovsky with the advantage as he's looking good still in his 40s, and I think he's still got some good fights left in him. And then we have the main event, Curtis Blades at 29 years old versus Derek Lewis. My balls is hot at 36 years old. I think this is the age difference. You know, Curtis Blades just entering his fighting prime uh, versus Derek Lewis. I saw a tweet today that he said, if you expect me just to sit there and risk everything I put on the line by banging out with Derek Lewis, it's not going to happen. I'm going to rely on my wrestling and what and my strengths to get the job done. Um, but you look at Blade's records, the guy's only lost to Francis Ngannou. We're talking Francis Ngannou, the scariest motherfucker out there that has punching power that I've never seen before, that literally rips your soul out of your body. So you can't really blame him for that. It's a tough, you know, tough guy to beat. Uh, but I would expect him to get the job done against Derek. We all know Derek doesn't have great takedown. I could see him taking him down early, wearing him out, grounding him a pound, and finishing in the first or second round. Um, Blades himself has beat the likes of Overeem, JDS, and Volkov. And Lewis has, you know, fought some pretty tough people and had some wins, but just not on the same level as of late, as I think he's on, on the latter half of his career in decline. Either way, though, free fight card. Keeping the fights going every week. This will be a fun fight. I am going to watch the Close and Pena fight and the Orlovsky and Aspinall fight. The other fights on that card I can't speak too highly into, but it'll be fun um, as we prep for that. Next Saturday, we also will have another fight night card before the massively stacked UFC 259 card. I cannot wait for that. I think this will be the best fight card of the year. As of now, the way I'm thinking, even after the Usman fight and the recent fights, the fight that still got me buzzing in my head was Super Saiyan Max Holloway and, and what he did to Calvin uh, Qatar. I can't wait to see what happens with the um, uh, title fight in that division. Oh, why am I blinking on his name? Uh, the, Austral the Australian rugby player. Alexander Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega. I can't wait to see how that goes. I'm picking Volkanovsky, but if he wins that, what does the UFC do? You got to give Max another opportunity, which is hard because of the, the, the multiple losses, even though one, in my opinion, was a wrong decision. But hopefully Ortega finds a way to win so we could watch him versus, you know, both fighters have massively improved since the last Holloway-Ortega fight. Um, but I would like to see some mix-up in that division as Volkanovsky is holding it down. And uh, we haven't seen Yair Rodriguez or Zabit fight in I don't even know how long. And Josh Emmett's coming off some serious knee injury. Mr. Clean. Anyways, lots of good fights coming up. Like I said, the UFC 259, that's the one that's got everyone buzzing. We got the mega fight. Jan Blachowicz versus Izzy Adesanya. He's trying to get champ champ status. We got Nunez fighting Megan Anderson. Let's see if anyone's even on her level. And then a very interesting bantamweight title fight, Pewter Jan versus Aljamain Sterling. Um, I've talked all year that I think the bantamweight division is going to see a mix-up in players when uh, going from contender to title holder. I don't think that Pewter Jan's going to hold that title for very long. That's it for the cages. Let's move to the NBA. 
We are talking mock drafts in the NFL. Do a little mock draft action here in the NBA. And then we will just talk about what has stood out. What's on tap for this coming week. As really, Hoops has taken the headliners, right? I know I started the the show with the NFL mock draft. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, But outside of what's happening until the draft, I mean, there's not going to be a ton of football to be told. So I'll be focusing my time in NBA. Probably doing updated power rankings. Uh, Shaq had brought up a good topic on TNT talking about his top five guards in the NBA as it stands. So next week, I'm going to come at you guys with the top five NBA guards in all of basketball as it stands today. Not legacy, not pre-pass. Who are the five guards that I would want on my team today? That's coming next week. And because there wasn't much action in MLB, I'm not bringing that up in the show today. But next week, MLB has been unleashing each day their top 100 players. I'm going to go through that list and digest that to see if I'm agreeing or disagreeing with their top 100 there was some interesting player rankings on there that i've seen thus far so that's coming up next week let's talk nba and let's first start with the mock drafts so i have pulled up a mock draft done here by jonathan weisserman from bleacher report and i have the athletics mock draft uh it says 2.0 jalen suggs Ascends in a unique landscape. Da, da, da. Doesn't show who's doing it. But I'm going to compare these two and just digest. I can't speak as highly into the NBA draft as I don't watch every single college game. I, you know, there's so many damn college teams uh, that I can't keep up with everyone. But it'll be fun to digest this. I'll give you my thoughts if I agree or disagree, and then we could talk about it because what's fun about the NBA draft is that it, as we prepare for this and do these, see these mock drafts. Okay, cool. These are the guys I want to watch. These are the guys that are making the difference. These are the guys that are expected to translate in the NBA. Maybe watch these teams more or, or pick them further up in my March Madness bracket. Once the March Madness bracket is unleashed, I'm going to go live on IGTV um, at Business and Buckets Podcast. I will dissect my bracket, fill out the bracket with you guys live on IGTV. That'll be a fun event. I'm looking to do some more live events. Um, I totally spaced Supernatural last week. Big snowboarding competition in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, um, led by Travis Rice and sponsored by Yeti. I forgot to put that in the show. It feel terrible, but they're doing a round two, um, I believe, in a couple weeks. So I'll, I'll talk about that and summarize the Supernatural in a later show. Uh, but any opportunity I have to engage with you guys. And as the B&B fan network improves, I will definitely... Uh, uh, do more live things, but I thought the March Madness bracket would be a fun one to do live with you guys on IGTV, and then we could talk about it further uh, on the show after I have done that. Let's talk mock draft, though. Number one, we got the Pistons via Bleacher Report and the Thunder via The Athletic. I'm not too sure how the Thunder would get the first pick here, uh, but regardless, they have everyone taking Cade Cunningham. I would agree from what I've seen on Cade Cunningham in Oklahoma State that he's the number one overall. He he just looks the part. He's a 6'7 uh, ball handler. He's 19 years old, true freshman. The only knock that I've had on him this far, and I've talked about it on the pod, was in games that they're trailing early, he tends to try to get his team involved and doesn't just make an impact. He makes an impact when it's a little uh, too little too late. I'd like to see him just get in there and be like, okay, I'm the leader of this team. I'm going to lead us through this Big 12 so we can make the tournament because 
I mean, they're on the brink of tournament play now because the Big 12 is so deep. That would be a total bummer if Cade Cunningham didn't make the tournament and we didn't get to watch him and scout him out for future ende- endeavors. Number two, the Athletic has the Knicks. The Bleacher Report mock draft has the Wizards, but they have the Wizards taking Evan Mobley, the USC center, the big boy, and Athletic has the Knicks taking Jalen Suggs, who had just been looking amazing. Gonzaga, I mean, they could potentially go undefeated and win the whole thing this year. I've always been a Gonzaga's overrated type of guy. They're not going to make it. And that was like, you know, five years into the past because I'm from Missoula, Montana. And, you know, everyone out there is Gonzaga fans. But this team is legit. Jalen Suggs is legit. I would not be surprised about that. And I'm I'm really liking Evan Mobley. He's looking great. The big determining factor here is what's the team? What's the need? Um, if you're the Wizards, you need a center. They drafted um, the center from Michigan a few years ago. Uh, Mo, I forget his last name for some reason. Uh, but he's not getting the job done. They have Richie, uh, Rui Hichimura, another Gonzaga guy, playing you know forward center a little bit. But they definitely have a big need for center. And the Knicks need playmaking potential, and that's Jalen Suggs all over it as he oozes swagger and confidence. Going into number three, the Bleacher Report squad has the Timberwolves drafting Jonathan Kuminga, who's a young guy that's playing in the G League. And number three for the Athletic is Cleveland Cavaliers' Evan Mobley, the seven-foot center out of USC. Why would the Cavs draft another center? They're probably going to trade Andre Drummond. They have a surplus of centers. Maybe they're not all signed. I'm not sure, but it just seems weird in today's NBA drafting a center that early uh, for a team that already has centers, unless he could clearly shoot the ball. Um, I don't know enough about Mobley to know if he shoots. He doesn't look like he has a shot just by looking at him, but who knows? And I don't know much about this Jonathan Kuminga guy, but there's been a few people that are high on him. A lot of these guys are choosing to go to G League versus college. We'll see how that plays out for him. But I know looking at this mock draft, if I'm a Timberwolves fan, I'm checking out this guy's film. And if I'm if I'm an NBA fan of a team that's drafting early because, I mean, there's a lot of talent that's going in different places now outside of just powerhouse college teams. So highly worth checking him out. He's 6'8", 220. So. Number four, Bleacher Report has the Thunder picking Jalen Suggs. I'm sure the Thunder fans would love that to happen if that's even a possibility. Thinking of Jalen Suggs playing next to the young core that the Thunder have, Shigus and team, that would be very interesting. Hopefully that happens. Uh, Athletic has Detroit Pistons taking Jonathan Kuminga, the 6'8 forward. He's 18 years old. Uh, we had just talked about him playing in the G League. So obviously people are super high on him. Um, I think the best comparison for G League guys is uh, Lamelo as he came out of a different format playing overseas than he did playing for a big time school. And it's obviously translated. People are skeptical about that, but it's working. And to be honest, if you're a kid that's just one, one and done at a college level, I mean, is the college coaching going to be that much better and change your, your projection that much? I'm not too sure at this point. Number five bleacher report has Orlando magic taking Jalen green of the G league. See another G league guy again. And, the Athletics, actually, 
has number five Hornets taking Jalen Green. So another guy that I'm going to check out, him and Kuminga have performed well in the G League. Um, they're thought highly of. I just don't know a lot about them. I'll have to do some more recon. But if you are a team like a fan of the team like the Magic or Hornets that could be drafting that early, I doubt the Hornets draft five, but you never know. I mean, it's all about the freaking lottery. Um, that's a guy that you got to study up. This one's interesting. The Athletic at number six has the Sacramento Kings taking Zaire Williamson, or Williams, excuse me, the man from Stanford. I think everyone are, are pretty familiar with him. He's been a hyped uh, prospect for a long time. And Bleacher Report has number six, the Bulls taking Jalen Johnson. I'm going to talk a little bit about Jalen Johnson because there's just some ethical things and trajectory of players that I just don't agree with, especially in college decision-making. This man had just opted out of college uh, basketball play with Duke midway through the season. Duke is, I believe, still has a losing record and is not in the top 25. So if I'm a young kid wanting to play for Duke, I would typically play for Duke because they're a top-level team and, and have a run at the Final Four every year. Right now, they're... Let's see. Duke, they're not even getting top 25 votes. Not even one vote. North Carolina got two. This is a crazy year. They're not in the top 25 and have no top 25 votes. That's the type of season Duke's having. If I'm a team in the NBA that's drafting early enough to get him, would I want to risk having this kid play for my team, knowing that we're probably not going to be a winning team right away, when he just gave up on a team that has huge history and is he's should be privileged to play for that squad and coach opt out to me, that's quitting. That's giving up. Like what the hell you can't just come in and commit and play and then quit. And if you do that should ruin your draft opportunity. If I'm a team in a front office, I don't want to be a part of that. I mean, how many players can we relay the message that come in from a top level team uh, in college and get drafted by the Kings or whatever and have to deal with it, figure it out, build chemistry and develop and hope to, you know, build a contender or lead a team to contention. Uh, a good name that comes to my mind is De'Aaron Fox and what he's done in Sacramento and the Kings have been battling pretty well of late. They want a guy like that, not someone like Jalen Johnson, who's just going to quit on the team. I think that's just ridiculous that that happened. Um, I saw that and I was just like, oh my goodness. So um, I'm not rooting for this kid. Once he goes to the league, I'm already on, on the opposite side. But I think that was despicable. And if you are the Bulls who have a plethora of offensive talent, do you want him and his ego involved? I would not. Number seven, Bleacher Report has the Pelicans taken Zaire Williams. We talked about him already. I think that'd be a great fit for the Pelicans if he's still available. And number seven on Athletic is Scotty Barnes going to Golden State Warriors, the 6'8 forward from Florida State. Florida State's put out some pretty good NBA talent lately. They've been known for a physical team, good mentality. Uh, the man that I think of is Patrick Williams for Chicago now, who's dealing with a little bit of injuries, but has looked pretty good. And I think we'll have an awesome second half. So um, I would believe that would match the mentality of the Golden State Warriors. And again, like we said, the Pelicans, Zaire, that'd be a great fit. Number eight, Bleacher has the Knicks trading with the Mavericks for Sharif Cooper, the Auburn point guard. <sighs> this just seems like a reach to me, but that's something that the Knicks would do. We look at all the guards that the Knicks have had and just haven't translated. I don't know what the Knicks' thoughts are of the future of their franchise. Um, 
I, I don't know. I mean, that would be a move that I'm not surprised it would happen, but that's not the type of player that I would want if I am, I am the Knicks. Let's look at the Knicks depth chart real quick. I'm not sure who's all signed there, too, because they've had so many. Like, they have Alec Burks. Like, Alec Burks loved him on the Jazz, you know, always wanted him to get a shot. But they have so many random guards right now, and I have no idea what their strategy is. They have Alfred Payton, Emmanuel Quickly, who's looked good. They just got Derrick Rose. They have Austin Rivers and Alec Burks. Like, what their guard future thought is, I have no idea, but it's just like if those are guys that I would pick in like a, a game of blacktop on NBA 2K. So when it comes to the Knicks decision-making, I don't think it could be trusted, but if I am a Knicks fan, please, please don't take a point guard. Number eight, San Antonio Spurs via the athletic drafting James uh, Bonite, the six, five wing from Connecticut. And the bleacher report has Toronto Raptors taking Scotty Barnes, uh, the small forward uh, freshman from Florida State. I think that'd be a good fit if you're the Raptors. If you are the Spurs, I feel like that's a reach for him. Um, I, you know, UConn's had some COVID issues, and going into the Big East has just been a little battle. Um, we'll see a lot more with him. They play Villanova this Saturday. We'll talk about that in a minute. So that's definitely a guy I'm checking film on to see if that's a, a reach or not. But at this moment, I would call that a reach for the Spurs. The Spurs would know anything. This is obviously athletic to, the athletics mock draft. Um, that doesn't seem like a Spurs move, but Hey, who knows? Number 10 bleacher report has Sacramento Kings taking Corey Kispert, the small forward shooter senior out of Gonzaga. And the athletic has the bulls taking Kispert at nine and the Grizz taking Jalen Johnson at 10. Corey Kispert to the Bulls, I, w I think that would be a great move. Uh, someone who's not as raw, you, you know what you're getting. He reminds me a lot of Peyton Pritchard, a little different position, obviously. And I think that would be a great move for the Kings as well. Now we move into the late lottery. The Athletic has the Orlando Magic taking Keon Johnson, the wing out of Tennessee. I like this kid. I, I think he'd be a good fit anywhere. Bleacher Report has the Knicks taking Moses Moody, the guard out of uh, shooting guard out of Arkansas. Arkansas has had had a couple good wins of late. They're they're in a tough division, scrappy team. I don't know a ton about this. This will be a guy that I'm definitely going to watch more film on, especially as Arkansas has been winning of late and, and and trying to get some tape on them. The Wizards number twelve via the Athletic are taking David Johnson of Louisville. And Bleacher Report has the Thunder taking Keon Johnson, who we just spoke of. I think that would be a good fit for Keon Johnson. Uh, they could use um, some 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 more speed and athleticism in the in the front court. And David Johnson out of Louisville, he's a big guard. He's a little older. He's not a freshman. I mean, the the Wizards are kind of like the Knicks. Like, what's their strategy? What's their thought? Who are they trying to keep? Maybe if Bill's left, this is a good move, but I'm not sure. I mean, the Wizards, it's hard to predict because they're just fucking, they're all over the place, man. Going 13, the Thunder trade via uh, Houston, taking Moses Moody, that wing from uh, Arkansas that we just mentioned. And Bleacher Report has the Rockets taking Kai Jones, the power forward slash center. I would assume, I don't know what he would play in the league, to be honest. It just depends on the team. If he played for the Rockets, probably be a center. Uh, but that's a great move. I like him. He's super raw thus far. Um, 
he's a guy that for Texas, if they want to make those moves uh, and be a Final Four or better team, he's he's got to perform. But but I think this would be a good move for the Rockets. For the Thunder at thirteen, you know, like I said, I don't know a ton of, of, of this Moody guy. He seems like a three and D guy. Um, but you know that that's to TBD time uh, to be determined. Number fourteen. Bleacher Report has the Spurs taking Franz Wagner, the brother of Mo- Moritz Wagner. Now I know his last name, Wagner, the center for the the Wizards. I haven't seen enough from him. That Michigan team is pretty solid. They've had some COVID issues and some postponed games, and I love Jawan Howard coaching that team. But I haven't seen him play to the ability of his brother. And if that's the case, you know his brother is a, a barely on an NBA roster at this point. So who knows? But I, I would say that's a little bit of a reach in my opinion. And then in fourteen, they have the Pelicans taking Kai Jones again. I think that'd be an awesome fit. I think this kid is going to be someone that the teams don't want to pass on because of the high ceiling potential. Number 15, the Warriors taking Usman Garuba. He's a center from Madrid, 18 years old. A lot of the times I see mock drafts and teams are taking foreign players. And I'm like, ugh, geez. And I had a bad, um, couple bad experiences as a jazz fan as they drafted Enos Cantor third overall, and they had drafted Dante Exum like top five. Neither of those guys ended up working out. At least Cantor's lasting in the league. I think if Exum has opportunity and he stays healthy, he will too. Uh, but, you know, the NBA drafts so so much harder. These guys are all about, you know, youth, athleticism, and high ceilings. That's what they're drafting, not who they are today. Um, but a lot of the foreign players of late have done really well. So, hey, I, I can't knock it. Um, the Warriors would know if, the, if that was actually their draft pick. Bleacher Report has Cleveland Cavaliers take a Jaden Springer, 15th overall, point guard, shooting guard out of Tennessee. I don't know a ton about him. I don't think the Cavs know really exactly what they're doing, um, but he has uh, Tyrese Halliburton comparisons, which Tyrese Halliburton's been one of my favorite young players, and I think everybody's favorite young player in the league. So if he's anything like that, it should translate. Moving to 16, the Athletic has the Hawks taking Cam Thomas out of LSU. And Bleacher Report has the Hornets taking the center out of Madrid that we just talked about. So he's sought pretty highly from both spectrums. And Cam Thomas out of LSU has been playing very well. He's, he's young. Um, that LSU team's had a couple good wins of late. So no surprise to me that that would happen. Going to 17, the Hawks drafting Jared Butler, the hot shooting guard out of Baylor. Athletic has the Suns taking Greg Brown, the freshman out of Texas. I like the Greg Brown pick. I think that might be a little bit of a reach for Greg Brown. And the Jared Butler pick, that's... What would his true position be and how would he mold with... um... Why am I blanking on the Hawks point guard? Uh... Atlanta Hawks. Trey Trey Young. Jesus, how did I forget his name? Sorry, Trey Young. How would how would how would that mold with Trey Young? Is this someone that needs to be this isn't someone that I would think needs to be developed. He's a junior. Um maybe it's a, a six man off the bench. I'm not sure, but 
Jared Butler can ball. He's on an amazing team. I would say probably the best player on that team. So, yeah, I would not be surprised if he gets drafted in the, the late teens. Um, I just don't know how that fit would make, make sense for the Hawks. Going to 18, the Pacers taking Trey Mann, the guard out of Florida. He's been uh, spoken very highly of. They need more guard and athleticism play. I think that'd be a great fit for, uh, fit for the Pacers. And the Pacers on the Bleacher Report at number 18 are taking James Booknight, the Connecticut guard that I spoke of earlier. I feel like that would be a great fit for Indiana. Same thing, need the guard play. And that's more of a where I would see him going. I don't see him going you know, 10, 11, 12. So I think those are great, great picks. Number 19 on Bleacher, Golden State Warriors taking Greg Brown. I like that fit as well. 19 on The Athletic, the Raptors taking Marcus Bagley out of Arizona State. That would actually be a pretty sick uh, fit for Toronto. Um, I like their their setup, and I believe everyone signed OG, Siakam, and everyone. He'd make a great fit. Wouldn't have to be forced into action. And, uh, again, Greg Brown, I think, would be great as the Warriors need some bigs and some depth. I don't know if Looney's going to be signed after this year either. Number 20 for the Celtics, Davion Mitchell, the other dynamic guard out of Baylor. And for the Portland Trailblazers, Josh Christopher, 19-year-old guard out of Arizona State. I don't think the Blazers would want another young high-ceiling guard, but maybe that's just me. And when it comes to the Celtics, Davion Mitchell, someone has proven that would be someone that would fit right into their culture and system, would not be surprised uh, about that pick either. Going 21, Rockets trade to the Blazers. They get Josh Christopher, the guard out of Arizona State. I could see that happening more so than the Blazers taking him just because, again, they have a lot of young guards right now that are performing well on this heater uh, streak that they're on. So I don't know if they would do that. Um, but 21 for the athletic is Brandon Boston Jr., the 19-year-old out of Kentucky. This kid was super hyped coming in, especially in high school and AAU. Um, but this Kentucky team's been a shit show. I don't know what the deal is with them, but I would say his stock has definitely gone down, and that might be a benefit when drafting him because the team's a shit show. It makes his stock go down, but really he should have been stayed high at the same time. So for someone like the Knicks taking risk on that, I think that's a win-win. They need to figure something out. 22 on Bleacher. The Suns taking Josh Giddy, uh, the Australian guard. I don't know how I feel about this guy. Um, I know he's high IQ and um, he is very creative, but I just don't know how that's going to translate. If there was a team that could mold that, I would say the Suns would be a good fit. 22 on the athletic is the Jazz taking Jalen Springer, the 19-year-old guard out of Tennessee. Uh, man, if I'm the Jazz, we, you know, I, I'm a Jazz fan, obviously. We have a lot of depth as of now, and typically we've been trading draft picks for other players and haven't developed well. We develop players well, but not players that we've drafted. I would like to see a big that can spread out versus a guard here. Uh, but this guy's, you know, thought of pretty high. He was a uh, five-star uh, recruit that uh, one of the two on the Tennessee team. Um, I don't know if I necessarily like that pick, but the kid seems pretty legit for a, a, a late first round pick. 
you got to remember, unlike the N- or the NFL, the NBA draft, I mean, there's only two rounds, and a lot of the times you find a, just a handful of a gold player, you know, gold nuggets in the second round, and a lot of the first round players end up not lasting with the team that drafted them, anyways. Going to 23, Bleacher Report has uh, the Grizz taking Charles Bassey, the uh, center out of Western Kentucky, and the Athletic has the Nuggets taking Alperin Singan the 19-year-old out of Biscatas overseas. I don't know much about him, and I don't know much about Charles Bassey either. Uh, Memphis wanting to get another big um, could potentially make sense to me, more so than I would see the Nuggets taking um, a risk on someone from the, the League. But, you know, hey, I you know I'm not an expert here. Number 24, the Milwaukee Bucks taking Alperin Sengun a center out of Japan, and the Rockets taking Ayo Dasunmo, the guard out of Illinois. I like Dasunmo. He's a very interesting prospect. He's averaging 23 points and 7 rebounds and 5 assists per game, and that Illinois T is clicking. Um, I think he'd be a good fit on most teams that need a guard, so that would be a great pick for the Rockets if you're a Rockets fan. I don't watch FIBA or the Euro Cup, so I'm not too sure how this center... Alperin Sengun is going to perform and why the Bucks would want him. Maybe just a future youth talent. Um, but yeah, I can't say too much on that one. 25, the Brooklyn Knicks taking Marcus Bagley out of Arizona State. That seems pretty reasonable. Good fit, good chemistry. I do like Bagley. I, uh, he's definitely the best player on his team. Boston Celtics taking Terrence Clark out of Kentucky. I've seen him struggle. I know people have been high on him. You could see the youth potential and the athleticism that he has. I could see it, though, if someone's going to take a risk on him, it would be the, it'd be the Celtics. So if you're a Celtics fan, I'm not too mad. If that's the Kings or somebody else, I'm like, oh, what the hell are we doing? 26, the Nuggets taking another overseas player, uh, Rocco Prasen. He's a power forward, averaging 17.3 points. Um, tall, versatile scorer. You know, the Nuggets like guys like that. The Athletic has Dacian Nix out of the G League. Don't know a lot about him. Um, we'll have to watch some G League film to get some better understanding on those three guys that are projected to be high-level picks. Bleacher Report number 27 has the Lakers taking Brandon Boston. I could see that. The Lakers are a well-cultured team with leadership that can lead a young guy that's had a tough break with that Kentucky squad. The Athletic has the Nets taking Dayron Sharp out of North Carolina. Um, he's a big center. looks really good. He was a five-star prospect, um, entering the season, a little bit of question going into the NBA, but I think the, the Nets would love to have him as an opportunity. And I think would be a good fit as they definitely need some, uh, some help on the big side of the game. 28, the Sixers taking Cameron Thomas, the shooting guard freshman out of LSU athletic has the Clippers taking, uh, Rocco Preston, the, uh, foreign center, out of Sabono, we talked about him. I don't know a lot about him. Um, it would make more sense to me that he's drafted later in the first round than in the late teens. And for the Sixers, Cameron Thomas, you know, he looks to be like a guy that's going to translate. So I think that would be a great fit. 29, the athlete or the Bleacher Report has Utah Jazz taking David Johnson, the sophomore guard that was drafted earlier in the Athletics mock draft. 
if he slips to them, you know, sure that that's not a terrible pick. But again, I'd rather see uh, a forward or big that could spread the floor. I'm not too high on the Jazz drafting a guard as of now, but sometimes you got to take the best player available. And the Lakers, via the Athletic, have Isaiah Jackson, the center out of Kentucky. I like this guy as a ready player more so than the rest of the young guys from Kentucky. Um, plus, he's going to the Lakers. That that would be a good fit. I wouldn't like to see him going for teams that doesn't have a lot of that vet experience on the team. So, hey, that would be a good pick for them. The Bucks, number 30, having a foreign player from the EuroLeague, Rokas Jakobitis out of Zalgiris. Have no clue about this guy. Can't even say his name. Um, the Bucks like their foreign players, so I would not be surprised. At 30, the Bleacher Report has the uh, Los Angeles Clippers taking Daron Sharp, the center of North Carolina. That would be an awesome fit for them if he is available. I'm not going to go through the second round of this mock draft. But I will say that the Bleacher Report has Trey Mann slipping to the second one. He was a lot higher in the athletics draft uh, going to Orlando Magic. If that was possible, they would be jumping up for joy. They also have Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Villanova guy, who's supposedly their best NBA prospect, been super streaky, going to the Pistons. Some other big names, Miles McBride. They have West Virginia point guard going to the Sixers. That would be a nice fit. See, they got Luca Garza going to the Pacers. That would be an awesome fit. I could see that happening. Garza, he's really been hurting of late, though, and I think teams have figured him out, so it'll be interesting to see where he, he fits in. Let's see. Kings, they have the Kings late second taking Terrence Clark out of Kentucky. I like that fit. And when we go over to the Athletics, some second round of note. They had Jared Butler slipping with a second round of the Thunder, first pick of the second round. If I'm a Thunder fan, that would be too good to be true, but that would be awesome. Then they have the Knicks taking Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I think that would be a good fit for him, but I'm still skeptical on him translating to the NBA level. Maybe it's just because I'm used to Jay Wright and squad being so locked in and it's been streaky of late. They had Franz Wagner dropping to the second to the Kings. Davion Mitchell to the Thunder late second. They have Luca Garza going to the Jazz. Hey, I'd be okay with it. Late second. They have... That's all of note. But that's it for the NBA draft coverage. Let's talk hoops and what had stood out last week. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to brag about the Utah Jazz because they deserve it. I try not to be a homer. I try not to spill all the good news that I want that I... And thinking about in my head, you'll probably see my Twitter, lots of jazz feed going on. With the gauntlet of the schedule that they just had, I had said this is their prove-it point, and if they can go 4-2, and two, that's all that needs to be done. Well, right now they're 4-0 and oh with two games on the road left with the Clippers, one tonight, Wednesday night, one tomorrow, or one on Friday on national television. PG, Kawhi, are they going to play? We're unsure. Mike Conley has been upgraded to questionable. I think the Jazz realize how important seeding is for them in the Western Conference for playoff matchups. You don't want the Lakers before the Western Conference Finals or have to play the Clippers early. And they want to extend, expand their league. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're just being super cautious with Conley. But now that they're, it's like must-win games, they're, they're coming too. 
But hey, you split this. They already whipped them in, uh, whipped the Clippers early in the year with the healthy team. Um, and hey, all those four games done without Conley. And no, don't get it twisted. They're playing better without Conley. That's totally not true. The play with Conley has been uh, even better, more facilitated, better sh- shooting percentages. Um, but hey, it's going to be awesome. Before next week's podcast, we'll check in on this, see how they do against the Clippers. They also have a game against the Hornets, as long as COVID is not an issue, because the Hornets had some postponements. And then they have the Lakers um, at home and the Heat on the road that Friday after the next podcast. But those are some pretty high-level competition. Next week, I am expecting the NBA will announce the second half of the league schedule, which will be very important to see who's got what, what kind of matchups. But the Jazz are playing the better teams. They played almost the best of the East and did work. Now they get to play the Lakers and Clippers, and we'll see what this team is made of. But I want to be surprised with AD's injuries and the off-and-on play of the Clippers and injuries that the Jazz wouldn't be seated number one, which puts them in a good a good position to actually make it out of the West. So watch out. Give the Jazz credit. They have four that I don't even. They have five players shooting over forty percent from deep, and seven players that shoot pretty consistently that are like thirty-six to thirty-eight percent. And it's a great defensive team. They're top five in offense. They're top five in defense. And the big difference is the defense and the pick and roll led by Rudy Gobert, but also having Derek Favors. I think that was one of the lowest underrated moves that had happened for the Jazz. Nobody gave him credit, but to be able to have a starting level caliber center on the second unit when Rudy's down, it helps not let our defense collapse and other teams uh, collapse and other teams make runs because that w- that's what happened last year when Rudy was off the floor our defense was atrocious he was forced to do too much and he didn't play as high level as he used to do but this year's different the team is legit and I'm excited to see what comes from it I had to give them a shout out because they deserve it now recapping from last week I was super pumped I had recorded the pod early Tuesday because I wanted to watch the Jazz play the Celtics on TNT and wanted to see what Shaq and Cruz said about the game. The Jazz handled business. This was out without Conley. Jalen Brown was questionable. He played, played very well. Tatum was in the lineup playing well. And they just kind of beat around the bush. No fun quotes. I was hoping it would be a little bit more exciting. But Shaq keeps saying, I like Donovan. I like the Jazz. You know, D. Wade's huge fans of Donovan. And they're rooting for him. So that that's really how it was laid out. Uh, but I was hoping for something a little more there. The Suns beat the Bucks in a big game with CP, CP3 scoring 28 points, and the Greek Freak finished with 47 and still lost. Uh, he puts up nights like that, and they still lose. I think that's why they never come out of the East. They need more bench play. Drew Holiday has been out of the lineup. I just don't know if they're going to be good enough this year. I think they need kind of like the Jazz a year with Conley and some more roster moves, and maybe they make moves at the trade deadline. But it's hard for me to make this team a contender when he puts up games like that and they still lose. You got to give the Suns credit. They're on a heater. They're doing well, but the Suns aren't a true contender in my opinion, and that's a tough loss for them. He was 0 for 4 from deep. He's got to be able to shoot better. I know he's been working and improving on it, uh, but if he wants to come out of the East and have an opportunity to win while he stays in Milwaukee, those are the things that he's going to have to do. The Lakers squeaked by Thunder in overtime behind LeBron James, 25 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists. And in this game, Al Horford had 25 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. I think a lot of people like to write Al Horford off and say that he doesn't have any left in the tank, but performances like that show you he can still hoop when given the opportunity. 
Um, the Blazers had a big win over the Sixers that Thursday. Lillard had 30 and Mello with a cool 24 off the bench. How about Mr. Mello? People are writing him off, says he doesn't have it, and he's a contender for six men of the year and playing really good basketball. I think having a, a year in the league and playing with these top-level guys like Damian and CJ, it really helped him, and he's really getting back in his groove. It almost makes me wonder what Mr. D. Wade could do if he was still there. Also, this past week, the Jazz beat the Bucks with Gobert going for a whopping 27 points, 12 rebounds, and 4 blocks that Friday. Another fun, games that, uh, fun game that Friday was the Mavs beating the Pelicans. Doncic had a whopping 48 points, and Zion had 36. That's fun National League television. Two future stars in the league going at it, even though both of them aren't as high in the standings. But it's, uh, we talked about, is it time to worry for the Mavs? Uh, they beat the Pels there, but they really got to get their, their shit together as they're still sitting two games outside of the eighth spot in the Western Conference standings. The Jazz again beat the Heat that Friday, as we mentioned. Uh, the Suns had beat the Sixers behind Booker's 36 points. And Embiid had a, a, a whopping 35. I think here you got to give credit to the Suns. Like I said, they're on a heater. They're looking good. And you got to give a lot of credit to CP3 for turning this team around, just like he did the Thunder last year. I think people still forget that and that, the quality that he's bringing to the team. And leadership. Uh, the Suns are going to be a team that no one wants to see in the playoffs. It, it's a lot like the Thunder last year. As it stands, the Suns are fourth in the Western Conference. If they're four, five, or six, I'm not a top three team that wants to play them. Um, that's a team that I'm trying to avoid as soon as possible. You know, Booker get on a hot streak. CP3 has been there before. It's going to be an interesting uh, team in the playoffs. The Blazers also building up momentum. They beat the Mavs as the Mavs lose again. Um, Lillard had 34 points and Luka had 44. Porzingis playing decent ball of late, but he's just not getting a lot of help offensively from that team. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do if they try to make a move at the deadline because it might be too little too late. We can't forget that they are doing a play-in for seed 7-10. to 10, But if you're the Mavs, that's a loss in your season. You can't be in the part of the playoff or play-in playoff. you got to be a top-six team. Right now, they would be sitting... Three and a half outside of the sixth spot. So they're not too far back. I think they'll get it figured out and get it gelling to get one of those positions. Uh, but they really got to start making up ground. I could see them getting the sixth seed, which would put them against the three seed, which would most likely be the Clippers. Um, that would be interesting. Uh, but they got to start turning it up. The Clippers beat the Heat this past Monday without Kawhi and Paul George. That's very interesting. It's almost the same thing for the Heat. Is it too little, too late? They're only a game outside of the Eastern Conference eight spot, though, because the Eastern's bottom half it doesn't have as good records as the West. Um, but I could see them, you know, if you're... Shit, you made it the NBA Finals last year. You can't be battling for a playoff game, play-in game for the playoff. You got to be able to get a six-seed or better. I could see them potentially finishing a six-seed, maybe even a five. But that would be interesting as potentially maybe the Sixers first round. That's what I would want to see. How sick would that be? Three seed Sixers versus uh, six seed Miami in the first round. That's some action. Can't wait for playoff time. Last week, the Celtics smoked the Nuggets on Tuesday. It's really just a Joker and Murray show. These guys aren't getting help from their team. There's no bench play. Michael Porter Jr.'s had some games, but 
he's just not living up to expectations, not doing well consistently. I saw he was like, oh, from a bajillion from the floor yesterday. Um, they really expected him to leapfrog their team from last year, and they're not seeing that. And I just don't understand why Bobo is getting no time on the floor. The guy looks great in film and practice. Everyone speaks highly of them, but he gets no time on the floor. I'm sure a lot of that has to do with Joker doing MVP things, but I'd love to see Bobo get an opportunity. I think the Nuggets got to start risking something. They have some names on that roster. They have Marcus Howard, the hot shooter out of Marquette on the team. They got to give some guys some new opportunity because uh, their bench play and their other role players aren't doing enough. Also last week, oh, nope, that's it. This is what's coming up in store for this week. Nope, I, I, I lied. This is still last week. We're not done yet. The one game that I missed from last week was the game last night. I had a little left, left some other things from last week's script in there. That's where my confusion came in. But the Nets beat the Suns last night without KD and Kyrie. I haven't talked a lot about the Nets when we talk about last week, and I figured I better get them credit here because we talked about, I believe that they need a year of chemistry to win this thing. But to beat a team like the Suns, who have been of hot of late, and the Suns were up almost the whole game, Without KD or Kyrie, who are very critical pieces to that team, especially with the lack of depth they have, to beat the Suns like that, I was very impressed. Uh, James Harden had a clutch shot. I mean, I counted the nets off. I turned the, ga- turned the game off and woke up this morning like, holy shit. Um, so if, if, if the Nets could be beating high-level opponents like that, um, they're going to be very nasty when they get on clicking on all cylinders. But with these injuries, people in and out, Kyrie taking pauses, I just don't know if it's they're going to be able to build the chemistry that they need to get through the playoffs and the finals to be champions. But games like that makes you wonder, man. They're, they're, they have so much talent, and James Harden alone got the, the will to get the dub last week or last night. Coming up this week, tonight, Wednesday night, we got Jazz versus Clips. Big game for the Jazz on the road. Hopefully, Paul George and Kawhi play. I doubt it, though. Conley's questionable, like I said. Might return. This is important seating for the West. We got Portland versus the Pelicans. Portland being on a heater. Watching Zion and Brandon Ingram. That's must-see TV. Uh, The Heat versus Warriors on ESPN. That's going to be a great game. The Heat really needing to get some momentum going. Steph Curry putting the team on his back. That's not an easy game. Going on Thursday, TNT doubleheader. Raptors versus Bucks. Nets versus Lakers. We'll see what the Bucks got. Can they you know, handle the teams that should be uh, lower than them on the standings and Nets versus Lakers potential finals matchup. That'll be a fun one. Uh, No AD, obviously, hopefully by Thursday, the Nets get KD and Kyrie back because I want to see full health teams there. Plus, I need the Lakers to lose for the Jazz to get some moment, uh, some cushion in the in the seating. Um, Also, Thursday, late night game, Heat versus Kings. The Kings have been playing well of late. That'll be a fun game. Another tough game for the Heat. 
Jazz versus Clips again on Friday on ESPN. Best believe I'll be tuning in there. Mavs versus Rockets, this is the second game of that doubleheader on ESPN. That'll be a fun one. Big ABC games this weekend. Again, no football. Basketball is taking prime time. We got Heat versus Lakers on Saturday. Man, this is a prove-it week for the Heat being healthy. This is going to be interesting to see how they do. On Sunday, it's Celtics versus Pelicans on ABC. Again, Zion Ingram versus Celtics, must-see TV. We got 76ers versus Raptors. Nets versus Clippers, big-time matchup. Hopefully healthy teams. That'll be on ESPN. And then Kings versus Bucks that night. Again, can the Bucks handle the lower-level teams and prove to the teams that they still are a contender? Moving into that Monday before the next episode nine, Portland versus Blazers. That'll be a fun one of two teams in the middle of the standings battling it out. That Tuesday, we got Kings versus Nets, 76ers versus Raptors, and Celtics versus Mavs on TNT. There's a doubleheader on TNT that Tuesday, Portland versus Denver. Those will be some awesome games. Portland versus Denver, same division. Celtics versus Mavs. You got Luka, Porzingis, Brown, Tatum. So a lot of good battles going in at the end of our first half before this shitty all-star break that they're doing and the second half schedule is announced. Can't wait for that. We'll digest the schedule when it comes out. But let's move to college basketball where, again, postponed games are just not going away. It's going to be interesting to see how they do the brackets. I haven't looked at any of the bracketologies yet, but some teams are playing way more games than others. It's just going to be interesting to see how that's done. Will team names get them in? You know, are the Dukes, the North Carolina is going to get in because they're Duke in North Carolina. It's just going to be an interesting uh, tournament. But last week, um, Tuesday night, after I shot the pod, West Virginia beat Texas Tech. McNeil scoring a whopping 26 points. Big win for West Virginia. Again, trying to battle out in the Big 12 is no feat this year as it's a stacked class. We look at the rankings right now from the aftermath of last week. West Virginia is ranked 13 and Texas Tech 15. Texas Tech had dropped eight spots. Villanova looked to be back on track. I was super excited after that uh, shitty game versus St. John's as they destroyed Marquette and Jeremiah Robinson Earl looking like the NBA prospect everyone expected. 27 points, eight assist, or eight rebounds. I was excited, but then they went and dropped against freaking Creighton, who I was saying was overrated. But it just shows me Villanova's just not looking like the typical Big East dominant team because they got smoked. Balak was hitting every shot, fadeaway three, you name it, and Zigorowski was leading the team. Missouri dropped a bad game to Ole Miss. I talked about how they were overrated. I look at the new rankings. They're still ranked with five losses. They moved 10 spots down to 20. Um, Iowa trying to get back on track last week. They beat Rutgers. Uh, Joe Weiskamp was 26 and 10. And he's really leading the team. Luca Garza is not filling the stats like the 34 points, 17 rebound type of games that we saw early in the year. So I'm not sure if that's a byproduct of his teammates getting him better support or if they figured him out. I'm excited to watch some more Iowa games to see that. Especially that mock draft we talked about, the Jazz potentially get guards in the second. Missouri dropped another game shortly after that week against Arkansas. Again, just seemed to be pretty overrated. They lost again that week to Alabama, which I was talking, or no, they beat Alabama, which was a battle of the overrated teams. 
Oklahoma flexed its muscles with a tight win over West Virginia. That was a very big win for them. Austin Reeves going 28-9-7. and If you're getting an almost triple-double at 30 points in college, that is quite the performance. Tennessee dropped the game to uh, LSU, uh, obviously an unranked LSU team. Loyola Chicago blew out Drake. We had talked about the importance of that conference as those two teams have been in and out of the top 25. Uh, especially as a conference like that usually doesn't get two tournament bids, but this year, who knows? Uh, Michigan seems like they're back in fashion. They took down Wisconsin. Tough loss for Wisconsin with Michigan coming off the COVID break. Uh, Trice trying to do his best to keep the team in, but Michigan definitely part of that upper echelon, and Wisconsin struggling to stay alive. Virginia dropped a clunker versus a Florida State team that's very physical and gritty. Uh, Missouri lost its third game of the week. There it is versus Georgia. So Missouri losing it to Georgia, who is unranked, LSU, and Arkansas. How they're still in the top 25, I don't know. But a lot of it, again, is because teams are getting postponed games and a lot of losses this year. Outside of the top 14, nope, not even top four, top three, unless you want to put Houston in there, Almost everybody in the top 25 has four, five, or six, or seven losses. Wisconsin's 21 at 15 and 7. Kansas, 15 and 7 at 23. It's going to be an interesting year. Going to be an interesting year. Hey, college basketball is getting hot, though. Some big matchups. This Thursday, Iowa versus Wisconsin. This is huge for both teams. Can Iowa get back in the upper echelon and build its momentum? And can Wisconsin stay alive, quite frank? I mean, that would put them at eight losses. That's going to be very brutal. Iowa is 15-6. and six. They moved up after last week. This can get them right back on track. Villanova versus UConn finally on this Saturday. That game was scheduled twice. I was excited because UConn's coming back to the Big East. Big game for Villanova getting back on track after what happened at Creighton. They had a whole week to think about it. Virginia Tech versus Florida State. Tough ACC battle. Virginia Tech's 18, Florida State 16. That'll be a fun one. Texas Tech versus Kansas. I mean, at this point, with Kansas having seven losses and somehow being in the top 25, it's got to be its last chance to prove it. Texas Tech, one of the better teams in the conference. Let's see what they got, see if they can manage. West Virginia versus Texas. That's a huge Big 12 battle. Texas won the last matchup on the road. So now let's see if they can handle business at home. West Virginia is the hotter team right now, though. Texas has been struggling. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. If I were to pick today, I'd pick West Virginia. Michigan versus Ohio State. Huge, huge Big 10 matchup on Sunday. We got Michigan ranked three. Ohio State ranked four. Michigan 14-1 and one, just coming off the COVID pause. Ohio State 17-4 and four with some big wins last week. Ohio State looking like the real deal, but this will show us the cards. Are you the real deal? Are you not? Uh, the Buckeyes squeaked by Iowa and Illinois this year, which was their tougher Big Ten matchups. They only get to play Michigan once because of the schedule changes. So this is the big prove-it game for the Buckeyes. Uh, before our pod next Tuesday, Villanova gets a chance at redemption against St. John's. UConn and St. John's back-to-back try to get that momentum back. And then Kansas versus Texas that Tuesday as well. Again, you know, they pay Texas, Texas Tech. You got to at least split one of these if you want a chance. But maybe the name of Kansas itself will carry them. And we're going to finish up with Supercross. Interesting week. 
people are starting to spread themselves in the standings. We look at the first race in Orlando this past Saturday. This is round seven thus far. And the 250 class, my boy Jet Lawrence back in the winner's column after his injury. Uh, Colt Nichols, again on the podium, placing second. Christian Craig with a third place finish, coming all the way back from a 19th place start. And then Joe Shimoda, of course, rounding out the top four. That puts the standing at Nichols, number one, with 166 points. He has an eight-point lead against Christian Craig. So pretty interesting battle there between Craig and Nichols. They've been podium them all year. And then Sh Joe Shimoda, 20 points away from Craig at 138. And Lawrence, after the one race of not qualifying uh, due to injury and in the finale, is at 128. So Shimoda and Lawrence aren't completely out of it, you know, around the midway point, but it's looking like it's going to be a battle between Craig and Nichols. 450 class, Cooper Webb just trying to prove he can do it and battle out with Ken Roxon. Great performance for him, even though I don't like him. Um, quite the battle, you know, quite the statement. Puts the points. Well, let's talk about how they finished. So Webb got first. Roxon finished second, uh, second right behind him. Uh, Matt Osborne with a third place finish. Justin Barsha fourth. Eli Tomac rounded out at five. Tough season for the, the defending champion. Aaron Plessinger, the rookie, with a sixth-place finish. KTM getting a seventh with Marvin Muscan. Jason Anderson, the previous champ from uh, two years ago, in eighth. It's hard for him to find the podium this year. Malcolm Stewart, ninth, and finishing out the top ten was Adam Sorensarulo. So that puts the points. Ken Roxon, 161. Webb, 148. Tomac, 132. And AC in fourth with 118. So it looks like to be the Roxon and Webb show. You never know, though. You can't count Webb out. Oh, shit. So that puts Roxon in first with 161, Cooper Webb in second with 148, and Justin Tomac or Eli Tomac in third at 132. And rounding out the top four in points is Adam Serencerulo, Tomac's teammate at 118. So it looks to be the Roxon and Webb show, but hey, you never know. You can't you can't count Eli out. 
Uh, this guy's a, a, a champion for a reason and is consistently in contender uh, push because he's simply Eli Tomac. Well, next Saturday is the next race. Um, before we get a week off, and then the next race will be March 6th. So we got this Saturday in Orlando, and then March 6th will be in Day- Daytona Beach. It's one race in Daytona, and then they move to Arlington for a Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday circuit. Uh, but really, the story, we got um, Nichols and Craig battling and Roxon and Webb battling for the title. But we got some lingerers. Would love to see Jet Lawrence continually to move up. And it will be interesting to see if Tomac can manage and, and, and keep his reign as champion. That's it for our show. I talked about... Actually, that's not it for the show. I talked about bringing in some segments. And I had a couple fun segments I wanted to bring up. Every week I want to talk about the non-story story. What the hell is a non-story story? Well, it's a story that I think should be worthy, you know, should be noted and talked about uh, that I don't really see being a story of many, many places. And then the other segment is the best sports take of the week. I don't have a best sports take of the week because I didn't see a sports take of the week that really intrigued me. But now that I'm doing this the segment weekly, I'll keep note out there and find that best sports take of the week outside of my hot takes anyways. But the best non-story stories for me, Jordan Clarkson. Again, I'm a Jazz fan. I get it. But they're hot. Jordan Clarkson is balling, getting sixth man of the year. I forgot that he played with Kobe and LeBron. He got to learn from those guys. He took a pay cut to stay with the Jazz because he enjoyed playing with the team and wanted to win a championship. What he's doing is insane. He signed a four-year $51 million contract. Very cheap for the Jazz. Very, very team-friendly. Right now, he's 42nd in the league in points per game at 18.2. But he's only averaging 20 minute, 26 minutes a game. Everyone else in the top 50 and everyone ahead of him are averaging 30-plus, mostly high 30 minutes or above. So for the guy averaging the least amount of minutes, almost scoring 20 points a game, you think learning from Kobe and LBJ had something to do with it? I would assume so. And he's always just been looked as an outcast until he came to Utah. No one really gave him credit. They just felt like he shot too much and, and was more of a black hole than a help for the team. I also saw this. A Timberwolves squad that consisted of Kevin Garnett, Zach Levine, Andrew Wiggins, and Carl Anthony Towns. Imagine that team if... KG still was able to play a couple years, you know, decent basketball. And we saw the offensive firepower and potential of what Levine's doing, Wiggins went healthy, and Cat. That's pretty impressive to think about that the Timberwolves had them uh, together at one point. Funny tidbit, LeBron James admitted that he still calls Ray Allen randomly to thank him for the clutch shot that he made. And I just quickly wanted to bring up, you know, I'm not a, a Heat fan. I'm a Jazz fan. But I was a huge D. Wade fan. He's my favorite athlete of all sports all time, which is saying something. And I was so badly wanted the Jazz to win, or the Heat to win that year, because of all the shit talking on the big three and everything else. And the Spurs just had their number. And I remember the anticipation of that game, seeing Ray Allen get the shot, because we all wanted Ray Allen to get the shot. 
and I was 20 years old, wasn't even 21 yet. I wanted to go out and celebrate. I was with a couple friends, Sean Haynes, soon to have on the podcast, uh, my good friend Drake Waters, shout out Sean and Drake. And we were just crazy. I was wearing my white finals Dwayne Wade jersey, and we all wanted to go out and drink, and we couldn't. Uh, but man, what a game. One of my favorite clutch performances of all time. And if I was LeBron James, I'd still be calling Ray Allen myself. Now, that's it for the show. Like I said, I'll be doing those segments every week, the non-story stories and the best sports take of the week. Uh, you know, Business of Buckets, sponsored by Field Supplements. Check them out online. They got uh, lots of new swag coming at you. Got any product line and, and uh, supplement that you guys could think of. Use my code Buckets for 20% off. Once again, business code Buckets for 20% off. Thanks for tuning in. See you guys next week.